Hey guys and welcome back to another uh, dugout podcast and today we are joined by Dundee United defender Tam Scobie and Rangers blogger James Black. So it's only fitting to uh, start off with uh, the Rangers versus Progress match which obviously seen Rangers getting dumped out of the Europa League. How do you feel about that one, James? Uh, it was a shambles. Um, you're watching a team that looked nothing more than they were going through the motions against a team that they looked like they turned up and they just had to show up to beat them. Uh, it was nowhere near good enough. Um, they had a number of players just, they didn't look to have the motivation, they didn't look to, they were doing simple things and get them wrong really easily. Um, I lost count of times that simple five-yard passes went astray. They picked the wrong balls, they didn't spot runs and they lost to be honest, two very cheap goals that they really shouldn't have been losing to set pieces. Yeah, uh, it was uh, shambolic from what well I've seen. Because just because it's like what uh, Celtic do uh, sometimes. Well, I would imagine, but that is what uh, Celtic done at uh, Lincoln uh, Red Imps. Well, like uh, walked on the park and was like, "All right, well we're going to win," and then they never won, and then they became. The uh, laughing stock uh, for a wee bit, and and then they went invincible, and then won the uh, treble. So I'm not saying uh, Rangers are going to go and well go invincible and all that, but they're but they're going to have to bounce back and finish second and push uh, Celtic until well into a title race, like a harder race compared to uh, the last one. Because that was Aberdeen's job, and it really should have been a Rangers' job. Definitely. I mean, you're, you're looking. I think it's a bit unfair to judge Kishinia on the back of one result and a lot of the players. Uh, you've got, I think there's four or five guys that started on Tuesday night that have made 90 minutes, 80 minutes worth of game time for Rangers so far. So it's, it's hard to judge guys that have just moved to the country they're just getting used to their surroundings, their teammates simple things like that but at the same time it's a very big black mark against their name and a lot of the good faith that they had already is completely dissolved yeah. they're likely not going to get away with silly wee mistakes as the season goes on because they need to be on top form right through the season they, they can't afford to be in a place where come Christmas time the title race is over yeah, because, well, that would be uh, the worst possible uh, scenario. Like, Christmas and the title race is finished. And, well, and then the Rangers fan would be uh, calling uh, for their heads. Because... Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, so, well, well, uh, well what do you uh, think of that, Tam? As a footballer, then, what do you think uh, the players like could um... uh, bounce back from? Well, I, I totally agree with what's just been said there. I think uh, it's too early to judge him on going on one game. I think he's made nine signings this summer. It's going to take time for them to gel, to um, to know each other's game. Uh, as it's rightly been pointed out, some of them have only played 90 minutes and it's difficult going in to play these European teams where they're, they're midway through their season. I think we've saw that with uh, St. Johnston as well. Um, but you know, I think after that game, then the players that were involved will know exactly what it means to play for Rangers Football Club. I mean, 
a massive football club and and the demand success, you know, and I think because uh, the success has been there for the uh, for a number of years, then players that come to the club it might it might take a, a result like that to, for them to realise, you know, the size of the club that they've come to play for and and the pressure that they're going to be under and where that be in a in a Europa League qualifier, um, a Scottish Cup tie, you know, or the league, then they know that the demands are there. And so, as 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 you rightly pointed out, it is going to take time. I think um, I think he'll be working hard with his players to make sure that this season's a lot more better than last season. You know, in terms of the amount of points difference towards Celtic, they'll be wanting to push Celtic as far as they can. And I think if it gets around Christmas time, you know, then and it's whatever the situation is, that's when the manager will be judged. You know, I mean. If they get around Christmas time and they're, so, and they're in the same position they were last year, being so far away from Celtic, then obviously there'll be pressure from the fans, the board, whatever it may be, towards the manager. But if the gap isn't so big and they're performing well and, and pushing Celtic, you know, then then you'll be having a successful season. So it is going to take time, and um, and that result might just be the result that the players that have come in need, you know, to realise that. You know that is not acceptable for a club, a Rangers football club size and stature, to go there and and to get beat off a team that had conceded forty goals in the last seven or eight games and only scored one. You know that's that's something that should never happen. Definitely. And you've you've been involved in European games against you know, smaller teams with smaller nations, Tam. Do you think there's a, a certain element of Scottish clubs? Maybe not arrogance, but they underestimate teams for these countries a little bit. I, I'm, well, to be fair, we played. I was with St Johnston. I mean, we, St Johnston are a, are a massive club compared to, to Rangers. So going into these games, we were more looking forward to it because you know we had never ventured in there. Um, I don't know what the situation is with Rangers. I think it would have been better if Rangers had to played away from home the first time and brought them back to. To Ibrox, and it was the same with us a few years ago. I mean, the games that we've, well, the games that when I was at St Johnston, we had lost. It was predominantly when we had played at home first and had to go away and get a result. You know, normally when you come back to your home ground, you've got a result and you've got something to to kind of cling on to and then push forward and and um, and get the result. But for a team like Rangers, playing against, you know, a team that, as I've said, had conceded forty goals in their European games and and only scored one, it's, it is a big embarrassment for the club and, and the manager and the players will be feeling it and the fans that made the journey over will be feeling it and that's something that they'll have to accept as a, as professionals and take it on the chin and, and then make sure that, you know, in the season that comes ahead that they go and, and perform because the fans would have loved the trip over and then they're coming home and they've been beat off a team where they should be nowhere near uh, getting close to Rangers and I saw the goals and you know, they're very bad goals to lose, but as I say, it's, uh, it's difficult for Scottish football teams going into Europe so early on. You know, I think we've saw that in the last few years, um, but it's something that we have to deal with. And by all means, Rangers should have dealt with that club very, very easily. But another, yeah, yeah, well, Rangers, uh, they should have uh, dealt uh, with them. But there must be plenty of. Well, not um, arrogance as such, but like the must have thought. Well, if it didn't be arrogance, it would have been 
the team uh, morale because they wouldn't have got to have uh, known each other as much. Like some of them, I'd imagine, like wouldn't have uh, the best of English, and then they're coming over, and then they just would clash with the others. One of the co- well, some of the comments that I've seen over the last couple of days about it was that the two wingers in particular, so it was Dalcio or Daniel Candias at points, and also they didn't have the same kind of chemistry that Lee Wallace and Barry Mackay had. But then you're looking at guys that have only played one or two games together, they've played a bounce game maybe if you're lucky on top of that, so they're not going to know the type of runs that they make, they're not going to know quite how they like things being set for them. So it's, as Tam said, the timing it certainly isn't great. It's not something that, that helps Scottish clubs in Europe. Uh, I mean, you're looking, a lot of teams have only just started the pre-season programmes either early this week or late last week. So when you've got Scottish teams already competing in European competition this early, there will be eggs and faces. It happened with Hearts last year. Celtic very nearly went out to uh, Lincoln Red Imps. Something's got to give with it. So, do you think uh, they should change it and then have a summer uh, football uh, here in Scotland? I think I think summer football would be great. I mean, I think if you look at the European clubs, um, not only does it help probably the the individual Scottish clubs, but it would help the national side as well, probably. Um, and it, and it would set teams up to better deal with this. I mean, if if you ten Rangers fifteen games into the season against this team, you know it could have been, it possibly could have been a cricket score. You know, once once the team's gelled and you've played a numerous amount of games with each other, then you know these things are obviously a lot easier. But you know that's that's for the that's for the men to speak at at the top level. I mean, everybody's got an opinion, but you know it would all depend whether it was feasible, um, if it was financially better, if. Uh, if the fans wish for it, you know they need to have a poll and see if, if see if see if they wanted it, and then and then take it from there. But on a obviously on a a player's point of view, it isn't great as we've just touched on there. You know, you come in for a week or two's training, and then you maybe try and squeeze in two games, and then you're right into competitive football, and it's difficult. I mean, it is difficult because even in those two weeks, you know, you're still working hard, you're putting pressure on your body. I mean, I think the Rangers and St Johnston boys never even had three weeks off, you know, to recover from the season they've just had. So all these things take their toll. And it's just something that we need to look at. And it's it's the great old debate that gets brought up every year when Scottish teams participate in Europe. And, and as you would say, the fault were against probably lesser teams. But that's probably just down to the fact that their match sharpness is there before you know, the, the Scottish the Scottish teams that are playing them. Even in terms of just sliding the calendar just a little bit, Scottish football seems to have this idea that it's, uh, we've got to remain traditional in that the Scottish Cup final and the FA Cup final have got to match up. You've got to have games at New Year's weekend. You've got to have your Christmas calendar. Even if they, if they brought the back end of the season forward a wee bit, so maybe the season would end, back end of March, start of April, so you're, you're getting that extra few weeks there, and then you kick off your league campaign in June, start of July, then I think even that would give Scottish clubs a real kickstart on the European games. Yeah, but it would be good, like, 
well, some are football. As uh, Tam said, well, it would give, like, it would stop Scottish football teams or clubs, like, being. It would give them more uh, preparation uh, for uh, the European games. Because they've got, as you said, like, 10 to 15 games, competitive games, to uh, gel, instead of just uh, being. about instead of uh, being uh, chucked into the uh, deep end of the uh, European uh, football. But then again, it's a professional team versus a semi-professional team. So really, the professional teams should be coming out on top. But, well, it is. It is. Right. So make football makes on your Yeah. Right, so, Tam, so you started off at Falkirk. Yeah. yeah. So, uh, what was it like uh, starting off at Falkirk? It was it was great. I mean, um, John Hughes was manager. Uh, Eddie May was the the youth manager. Brian Rice was assistant manager. There were, I think, at that time it was a case of trying to bring youth through. Um, so, I, so I was very fortunate in the fact that I just hit that kind of peak time in terms of Falkirk's production line where there was you know, a number of young guys coming through and, and got the opportunity to go and play um, for, a, for, a, for a great club. I mean, I'm originally from Falkirk. Uh, I supported Falkirk when I was a kid, so it was great to go and play there and, and be given the opportunity. Yeah, well, that's what... Well, that's another thing, like... Well, like, when Scottish people... Uh, Oh, well, uh, get an opportunity. Like, as, well, as uh, somebody said, I've totally uh, forgot his name, but, like, he said that um, Scottish, well, or young Scottish footballers are uh, more interested in uh, Nando's and the uh, cinema and stuff. So, well, uh, Nando's and stuff wasn't a thing back in that day. But, how um, motivated? Uh, how um, motivated uh, were you to uh, become a footballer or make it a profession? Totally motivated. I mean, I signed my first contract with St. Uh, Falkirk when I was twelve years old, and it was one of these old contracts where, when you were in school, you were always contracted to Falkirk, and then once you turned sixteen, you went full time. Um, when I was 16 and came in full-time, um, I wasn't actually being the professional footballer that I was meant to be. I was, I mean, I was still going out with my friends and, and, and getting in a little bit of trouble and and uh, not living my life correctly. And that was something that John Hughes picked up on straight away and, and pretty much said to me, listen, you know, if you want to be a professional footballer, you need to live your life correctly in every possible way. Um and that's something that I did after that after that one meeting with him, uh, only a few days into to my to my apprenticeship, and and that pretty much changed my life because, you know, you, I started really 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 getting hungry for the game as a as a as I trained more with the first team as a as I watched them playing games and training and playing in front of the crowds. It's something that I wanted to to achieve, um, and I think it's something that's there. I just think that, you know, um, a lot of kids go in there and possibly just go through the motions because they're at a club 
you know, they, they might be signed to a club and think that, yes, that's me here, that's that's the hard work done. The hard work isn't it done. The hard work is done. You can relax and, and possibly have a wee bit of a breather once you're in the first team and you've played 100 or 200 games. When you're 16, 17, 18, 19, you should be doing everything possible to make sure that you're in that squad and, uh, and make sure that you're in the manager's thoughts. And, and from the, the moment I had that meeting with John Hughes, that was my total focus. I mean, I, I pretty much devoted everything I had to, to being a professional footballer, and that included, you know, staying in. Uh, I had to get rid of some of my friends that, I never, that you know, that weren't great for me at the time, and, and that days were sacrifices that I had to make, and it's sacrifices that every young kid will probably need to make if they want to make it in the professional game. And, and I think that's the toughest decisions that that kids are facing nowadays is, is do they want to go and hang out with their pals and do they want to go to the cinema or Nando's or go out to nightclubs or do they want to purely focus on becoming a professional footballer because, I mean, once you're there and you experience it, it's, it's the best thing in life. You know, you, you think how many kids want to be a professional footballer when they grow up and to the numbers that actually do, it's it's extraordinary how many people don't actually make it in the game compared to the ones that do and it's the ones that do that want to put their application uh, put in the application and, and the determination and, and that's something I avoid Yeah yeah. so and then the motivation uh, for you and then it eventually came and then and then your uh, debut on the 29th of July 2006 uh, do you uh, remember that? I was at the game against um, against Hamilton. Ah, oh, you didn't remember your own debut. <laughs> it was Dundee uh, United. It was Dundee United. No, no. That, that, that was my debut in the SPL, that one. I made the debut my debut in the first division the year that Falkirk won the league. We played Hamilton away. Oh, oh well, my facts are wrong. Right, OK. <laughs> and, I, and, you know, and do you know why I remember that game? Why? Because John Hughes announced that I was playing well, I was on the bench. He sent me away to get a new suit. Um, yeah. I showed up next to game day, and John Hughes wasn't even at the game. He was down at Bradford <laughs> watching a player. <laughs> Brian Rice took the team. Ah. Oh, well. Looking at Falkirk at that time, Tam, what do you think was the, not the secret, but why do you think that they had such a conveyor belt of talent coming through? Because, uh, I mean, there was... Some really, really good players come through Falkirk in that kind of early part of the 2000s. And you've got guys now, that, a handful of guys even now that are in the Premier League, English Championship, the Premiership in Scotland. And they really did have a reputation for bringing through some really, really good hungry young players. Do you think that was between Yogi and his coaching staff or was that more on the guys that were, the players that were trying to get themselves through? I think I, I think mostly it would probably be on like once Shogi became manager, he, he wanted he wanted he wanted Falkirk run. Like Falkirk aren't a massive club, but he no. wanted to run it. He wanted to run it like a massive club. So he wanted the training base. He wanted the training grounds to be perfect. I mean, when I was younger at Falkirk, we used to we used to train on bowling greens. Like he wanted everything to be as as perfect as can be, so that it gave it gave youngsters the opportunity and there was no excuses. I mean, if you can't pass and control a ball on a bowling green, then what chance are you going to do it on a on a pitch, you know, at, at, at a stadium where the pitch is all dug up and stuff like that. So he kind of implemented this and and not only him, he had a, he had a really good guy in Eddie May who 
played for Falkirk and he's now the I think he's now the head coach at Hibernian. Um, he really, really, really worked a youngster to prepare him not only as in like physically and technically, but mentally as well to to be able to to go into our first team. I mean, because I, I made my debut at 16 year old, and I'm going in there and, uh, and playing with guys like Alan Kernahan and Kevin James, uh, Russell Russell and that. These guys have played for years upon years, and I'm just this young kid going in. But it was, but because like he had set everything up, Yogi and Eddie for the for the 18s. It was almost like a seamless, pro- it was seamless process. It didn't feel like you were jumping from the 80s to the first team because Yogi used to want the, the young boys to train right next to the first team, to watch the first team, the training they did. Um, the formation, he played at Falkirk, he made the 19s, 17s, 16s, 15s, 14s, right down through the youth system to play the same formation so that they knew exactly what he expected when eventually they came up to play in the first team. And, and, uh, and that, that was a major, major factor in, in producing, as you say, the players that they did and, and they produced a handful. And to be fair, they haven't stopped producing players, to be fair, once Yogi left. So obviously that's, the success has been there and it's literally just carried on. I just think it was at that point um, where they've said to themselves, right, let's, let's stop you know, seeing the boundaries that we can't achieve. Let's, let's imagine we're a big club. We Want to be, we want to play like a big club and try and produce like a big club, and, and to be for the done great at that. I mean, I'm, I'm actually I'm local to Falkirk, um, and going back to that time when you'd have been kind of around about the 19s, actually I worked at Grangemouth Sports Complex. Yeah. So during the crappy weather, you would get Falkirk would come in, because uh, I'm sure at the time they'd just moved to Little Kerfs. Yeah. So it, it was just as the stadium was being built, um, so you'd come into the complex in terrible weather. But you could also see there was a real, a real togetherness in the squad. Uh, there wasn't a kind of us and them between the coaching staff and the players. There was one I remember. It was um, there was a story in the tabloid about Russell Latte and the Love Child or something. So Yogi phoned out the complex to get copies of that day's paper and to get them put on and just like, the holidays used to train them. Now I couldn't imagine that at that certain places where, as I say, you've got that kind of I'm the manager. So I have, I'm on this level, and you're just a player, so you're a couple of levels below me. There seem to be real together, and there's a real bond in that squad, which is like, it speaks a lot of kind of the work that Yogi and his staff do to get the players buying into what he's trying to do. Yeah, totally. I mean, I mean, we went to Little Kers, and and the place, you know, looked like a bomb site, and within like three or four weeks of getting in there, Yogi had. Yogi had the, us kids painting fences and, and fixing all the gravel and and making sure everything was clean and tidy and just to make sure that everything was in place for, for everybody to succeed. And, and the first team boys were no different. I mean, I, I remember Yogi chasing uh, Russell up at, the, up at the training ground with one of the poles that sticks in the ground. I used to do it every day. And, and he just used to like have a laugh with him and, and, and he treated all the first team players like he did the young players. He just demanded more of the young players, especially if he thought you were good enough to play. He would be at you every day. And he used to say to me, I used to have a go at him and say, why do you keep getting on at me? And he used to say, the day I stopped getting on at you is the day that I, didn't, is the day that I don't think you'll be a football player. And it's totally true. I mean, the more he got on at young boys and the more he got on at first-team boys, it wasn't to try and like make them feel bad or, or put pressure on them. It was because he felt like they were going to be a great, football, a good footballer for the club, and he always demanded the best. And 
and the atmosphere at the time was just was unbelievable. <laughs> oh, with me. Yeah, so Falkirk, right, so he made you uh, believe in yourself. And then, oh, you received your first red card, apparently. Because I'm saying apparently now, because uh, you're making me uh, double guess. Uh, well, if what I'm reading it from is true. So you received it at, well, you tackled Chris Burke in a late tackle. And it uh, resulted a straight red card. Do you remember yeah. that? Yep. Yeah. Never on it. How did you feel? Um, I was absolutely gutted and terrified as well because Yogi. it's always it's always difficult going to the to Ibrox and Parkhead and, and playing against them with eleven men, so so to go down to ten men it was it was a bit gut wrenching but I didn't feel it was a red card. Um Yogi told me he didn't think it was a red card but he decided not to appeal it, which made me think he did think it was a red card. But um, nah, that's one of these things. I mean, it wasn't a bad tackle. He literally skipped by me, and I, and I tried to, to catch the ball, and I, and, I, and I caught him. I mean, he, he got straight up right after, and the ref gave a red card. There was nothing malicious about it. But uh, as you say, when you get sent off at, at places like these, where you know it's going to be a tough afternoon, and it just makes it difficult for the boys, so you feel like you've let the boys down. Yeah. And then, apparently, as well, you were dropped in the 07-08 season for, uh, for a bad performance against Hart, or a seemingly bad performance against Hart. A couple of mistakes uh, were made against Hart. Um, probably. I mean, <laughs> probably, yeah. Probably, I mean, I think uh, if, if it's the game I'm thinking, I think the... You remember the Hearts had the boy called was it Lara Kingston, Aye. the right midfielder. And to be fair, on that day, was he just like uh, tearing it up? Aye, it just it, it was just one of those days where everything went from, and and I couldn't really get near him. And I think the manager expected better, and you know I probably expected better, but you know, you know you have these days in football where it just doesn't go your way, and and for him that day he was absolutely outstanding. It was it was a an unbelievable performance by him, not only him and Hearts as well. And obviously, I was the one that that got the rough end of the stick when I got back in the changing room and, and the foreseeable future. It was a right good Hearts team that season because um, I've just I've looked up that match there. It was a four-two defeat, uh, and I there's a quote for you where you mentioned Larry Kingston, um, and you say that it's something you want to improve from. So I, it was it was a it was a really really good. Good heart side. It's probably a good learning curve as well for a young lad, a 19 year old, playing against a quality player like Kingston, like some of the other guys at Rangers and Celtic and whoever else at the time. Do you think that helped you kind of come on as a player, playing against this higher quality of players at such a young age? Yeah, I do. And I mean, listen, I think the best thing for a, for a young player is to go and play. You know, I, I know like they've introduced this 20s league in that. Um, but back in the day, it was literally like by the time you were 18, if you hadn't played in the first team or been about the first team, then you probably weren't going to play. Uh, they introduced this 20s league to try and make it fairer and uh, to give younger lads a bit more time. But I mean, I remember going uh, to Murray Park and playing playing Rangers, and you would have like five first team boys, you know, 
coming out and playing against you and you're like, oh, as a young kid you're thinking well these guys you, you used to watch them you used to watch them play on the TV and you knew it was going to be really tough but but these were games that pretty much moulded you into the player you are because if you're a if you're a 16 17 year old kid and and you're playing a a reserve game against you know guys like Rangers and Celtic who've played maybe 50, 60, 70 games for Celtic and, and they've got more experience in it and you can play a name and, and learn from it, then that's going to help you. And that is that is one of the things that definitely Yogi tried to do. You know, every every reserve game back there, he would have four, five, six kids in the squad just to make sure that they, they kind of get a taste of, of what it's like to play against these, these quality players. And, I mean, at the time I was coming through, Rangers and Celtic had players like that in abundance. And, I mean, you picked up on the heart squad as well. I think that was one of the strongest squads that Hearts have had in, in a number of years, and you know that I can think of. Um, and 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 it was good to test yourself. And I think that's the best thing for young kids to do is, is test yourself against good players. And you know, one day it might not go your way, but you'll learn from it. You'll get experience from it, and you'll and you'll come back and you'll be better for it. Speaking of young players coming through, there's been this talk again of being introducing cold teams in Scotland, which we'll see how it happens and I just on like on a rough level what would be your thoughts on that introducing whether it's just Rangers and Celtic or there's maybe four or five teams that come in through the Lowland Highland Leagues do you think that's the kind of ideas that we should be looking at to bring boys through I don't think it is I mean I, I, I get I, I get the idea when when they made it um, instead of it being like 18s that went to 20s because players' progressions, you know, they don't happen as quickly from 16 to 18. It might take them an extra couple of years. But I always preferred the uh, literally you had your 18s, your reserves, and then your first team. And you knew pretty much every Tuesday when you went to play the reserves because of the size of the squads that Rangers and Celtic and that had, you were going to be playing against top opposition. And I think that's the best way forward. I mean, I. I the Colts thing's difficult because, as you say, it's okay for guys like for teams like Rangers and Celtic and you know, possibly Aberdeen, but you know, out of them, then you're talking that you know the squad for certain SBL clubs is it's not big enough and strong enough to to to, to do that. I mean, they, they rely a lot on their young kids. You know, if there's any problems in their first team, so to try and put them into a Colts situation, you know. It possibly could be a bit detrimental. I think it's better if you kind of say you got five or six of the young boys that you really you thought were going to be really good. You introduce them to the first team through the through the the reserve leagues, and then you build from there, and you just add and take out and add and take out, so that everybody gets a taste of, and 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 it puts them under pressure to perform, and then you can see how they perform. I think it's a lot more difficult if you were to take the full team and say, right, you're going to. You're, you're going to play in a coach team. You're going to play against professionals because um, ultimately, you know, the, the senior professionals that are playing against should come out on top. You know, if you're playing a reserve game, you know, you might have three or four youngsters playing surrounded by seven senior pros where they can help them along, and it's and, and it's a fair game. But you know, it's an interesting one. It'll, it'll be interesting to see how it pans out and uh, and see how it goes. I mean, I, I watched a lot of twenties football last season. And I remember seeing it was Rangers versus Dennis Muir in the Challenge Cup. 
I mean, you've got some of these young guys that you've seen them come into the Rangers team towards the end of, this season, end of last season, sorry, so Jamie Barjonas, uh, Serge Atakaye, the lad Wilson. But when they played against Dennis Muir, they looked at, they looked like wee boys playing against adults. Yeah. Dennis Muir's side, they had the, the kind of street smarts. It was, you know, it was wee, like, wee, wee ways to get away with niggly fouls. It was making those clever runs that the boys wanted to get in development football. So I do think it's more about getting them into first teams mm-hmm. and getting them playing. Even if it's getting them out of loan to play regular first team football. But I think getting them out playing quote-unquote adult football is the big thing for them. No, I, I totally agree. I think that's the best way forward. I mean, for a young kid to go and learn his trade, it's, it's best to go out and play against guys that have been doing the trade for 10, 15 years and seeing how they cope with it. Um, and it's, it, is, it is difficult for young kids, as you've said there, I mean, playing against Stennis Muir, you know, you could see the difference with Stennis Muir. I mean, imagine if a coach went and played a, a team in, like, you know, the championship or something like that or whatever, then you would probably see a massive difference. And it just helps, as I said, when, when I was coming through with the reserve, it helped the fact that you had, you know, five, six, seven first-team players there that, that, that would help you through the games, you know, um, so, no, nah, I totally agree. I think, um, I think it'll be interesting to see how it goes. Uh, yeah, because, well, in the, um, in the Iron Brew Cup, uh, they're doing uh, Colt teams. All of the Premier League teams have got Colt teams in it, actually. Yeah. Yeah, all, all 12 Premiership teams have got a Colt team in it. Yeah. And then you've got two Irish, two Welsh and two Northern Irish in it as well. Yeah. So, well, well, they shouldn't uh, be uh, like they shouldn't be uh, using a cup such as the Scottish League Challenge Cup as an experimental gain. It's such a prestigious cup. I think there's political moves for it as well. Be getting the cross border stuff. I think it's more about that. Yeah, so it's like the British cup is what they're wanting. it's a precursor to something like that. Yeah, so it's like the the, the Anglo-British Cup coming back. And you look at, looking at the, the foreign teams at Senate, you've got Linfield, Crusaders, the New Saints, Connors Key, Bray Wanderers and Sligo Rovers. Now, off the top of my head, four of these six sides were involved in European football this summer. Yeah, that's correct. So, I mean, you could potentially have Hibs under 20s travelling to go and play a team that's, that's qualifying for the Champions League early in the summer. And it's a bit, it's a bit of a kind of odd imbalance there. It's odd, but it would be good for the young boys because they're playing against not a, a oh, well, not the elite, but like still a European opposition that's tested themselves against the. Well, again, they've not even tested themselves because they're not going to go and get that far. But like they've they've had the experience, and and they know. Oh well, they know the uh, tricks like in Europe. Now, interestingly, they've tried similar in England with the, what was the Johnson's Bean Trophy Cup. God knows what they call it, they've called them there, um, but they don't get the under twenty three teams. And the fan reaction to it would be horrific. 
Uh, there's been protests, there's been boycotts, there's no TB team hashtags and all that usual jazz. I think there's some of the games were drawing nothing more than treble figures. So it's, it's really about five down south. So what I would say though is instead, like, if you, you, I think they should speak to the young players as well. I mean, I mean, if I was a young player and I got asked to stay and play for the Colts team because they're in the Iron Brew Cup. But it would be annoyed. I had, a I, had a, I had a professional club wanting me to go on loan. Then, then what's the best option for them? Is the best option for them to stay there and play in this coach team in Ironbrook Cup, or is the best option for them to go play at a senior club and maybe make thirty-five or twenty playing against men? For me, it would totally be going going on loan and playing against you know experienced pros week in week out. Absolutely. Yeah. Watch, watching these games last season. Almost to a T, you would see them after 65, 70 minutes, it would just die away. You would get the odd one where it would, it would be a frenetic 90 minute end to end match. But for a large part, once the game's got to 70 minutes, you three something each side, the game died to death, and they just played with whatever the result was going to be. So you've got, you get to the position where the development league football is it's good to a point, but it doesn't serve the purpose that it's supposed to serve. Right, so, yeah, um, it doesn't really serve uh, the purpose because you would much rather play like a professional team. Teams, or at least play against like Scottish teams because it will give you the better opportunity to grow along with even when you look at some of the guys in the the senior Scotland side just now you know, Andy Robertson who was playing regular first team football at Queen's Park at 16 you've got Kieran Tierney who's playing regular football at Celtic at 17 you've got a whole host of guys that were playing in the first division up here some some like Graham Dorans for example playing first division football 17-18 year old at part of Castle Livingston and you see these guys that played regular senior football at a young age kick on quicker, generally kick on to a higher level than guys that maybe they made the breakthrough until they are 21, 22 year old. Yeah, well, there's plenty of players here well, which have uh, broken through over at such a young age because Hamilton have done it. Hamilton are good for a uh, well, or at least were good for uh, young players. Like, I mean, they had a point where you had the, the MacArthur, yeah. uh, McCarthy, Brian Easton was another one that came through at a young age and he wound up going to shoot him in the Premier League at Burnley. Um, I mean, it was Scotty Arfield that's at Burnley now. He was another one. He was, he'll have come through the same, the same time as you at Falkirk, Pat. Yeah, me and, me and him are in the, in the same YT together at Falkirk. I mean, there's another one. Playing first team football at a young age, alright, he's playing for Canada now, but it's another one that just shows that you're, you're getting that regular first team football at a young age. And you can go as far as you want if you've got the right attitude and the right mentality, these boys can go as far as you want if you've got the right grounding. Yeah. Yeah, and well, plenty of them have actually uh, diverted away to, um, like, uh, the likes of Canada or, um, or um, the Republic of um, Ireland. Instead of Scotland or playing for Scotland, like McGeady, uh, MacArthur, 
No, sorry, or McCaffrey. McCaffrey. Yeah. Jane McCarthy. Yeah. Um, like, well, Put the would you? Scott yeah. yeah. I would have said um, McGeady was, but then Snodgrass, to be fair. Yeah. Snodgrass, Burke, Burke, Burke as well. Now his, and his uh, move to uh, Germany. But, well, he came through the English system, I believe. Uh, he came through the forest. Yeah, the thing I didn't get with uh, with with Scott Arfield is uh, Scott Arfield played thirty eight games in the Premier League for Burnley, never once got a shout for Scotland. Couldn't he get a sniff and told Canada were interested? It's madness. Couldn't he get Couldn't he get a chance? And um, knowing him personally, and uh, I think he had spoke to Strachan, and Strachan had said that they had a, a fair abundance of players there. Um, that were obviously in the squad and it was obviously diff- difficult to break in but I mean taking I'm not taking anything away from the players that were there but there were guys there that were playing for the championship football you know if, if I'm the manager I'm thinking right he's playing in the Premier League week in week out he's definitely going to be involved in my squads um, but for, for some reason he wasn't and you know he's decided to go, go to Canada Some of the guys that were getting picked up time were lucky if they were playing one or two games a month yeah, and cause, you thought Arsenal played weekly at Burnley and he couldn't get a look in. It was just, it was all about odd. Yeah, because what uh, Gordon does, if he picks players, like, well, based on their club, because, like, he only tends to pick, like, Celtic players and, like, like, he like he doesn't pick players on forum, is what I've seen, cause, because if he did, like, he would have picked a lot more young, like, Young players and players like uh, Scott um, Scott um, Arfield, he would have picked. He just would have picked like loads of players, and he never even played Blumen Burke. Uh, Burke against Blumen. Um, I think there's a certain a certain mentality thing when it comes to some managers that are still not set in their ways. That that's the guys that they trust and the guys that they know, but they would rather go with tried and tested. Players that maybe aren't performing at a level that they once were, but at one point were fantastic players. So he knows what they can do, so he'll stick with them until he really has to. And there's, it's changing now in Scotland, so you're seeing more and more managers taking punts on young guys and young players and even kind of unknown foreign quantities. So hopefully, I mean, your man at heart, seeing Castle, he's a really good example that's just he's somebody that. He's got his way of doing it that's not quite the norm, so he's going to go out and he takes a hell of a flat for it. But that's how he wants to do things, and that's how he's going to do things. So, fair play to the guy. And it's it's something that's hopefully going to see much more technical players come through in Scotland. Hopefully, yeah. Cause, well, Cathro, he's a young um, a, a manager, and he's going to like bring in a lot new, uh, different uh, tactics, ideas for uh, the Hearts team, but the only problem is, or uh, worry is, is that he's like, as people say, a, he is a Levine's uh, puppet. Like, to yeah. say. But I don't really think so. But like that's just what people say. I've read that and I've heard that, but I mean, given the reputation the guy comes to Scotland with. He'd been assistant manager in Portugal, he'd been assistant manager in Valencia, he'd been a coach at Newcastle. 
Do you think he's going to come up here and take his, his first standalone job as manager? And be a puppet. <laughs> and be a puppet front. And I mean, Craig Levine's got a, a great reputation in Scotland and everything else. But I just I don't see somebody that's that's that young and that driven taking a, a, a particularly such a high profile job like Hearts. Yeah. It's, it's one of the top four or five jobs in the country. Mm-hmm. Yeah, def- yeah, definitely. And you're not, you're not going to come in and just be a yes man for somebody. You're no, I think, I think, I think, like, I think Craig will be there, like, behind the scenes, just giving him, 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 him a few ideas, a wee bit of advice, a wee bit of experience, if he's needing it. I think he'll have to be a man that, you know, um, if Carthor's got any questions, he'll go and ask him, he'll probably give him an honest opinion, maybe say to him, you know, maybe we should try this or try that, but ultimately, you know, the decision will, will come down to Ian Carthor, I mean, I mean, if you're if you're going for a job interview and you're told you're going to come to Hearts, but you're going to be playing second fiddle to the man upstairs, then you know there was there, there wasn't much point in taking the job. I mean, every job that seemed to come up lately, his name was put forward. So it, it wouldn't it wouldn't have been as if he was short of any options if he turned the Hearts job down. He would have got a job eventually. So you know, I don't think that I don't think that Cathro's a puppet man. I think Cathro's in there. He's got his own ideas. He'll probably work with Craig Levine. Almost Craig Levine will be like a mentor type to him because he's been there and done it, um, you know, and, and stuff like that. But definitely, I think Cathro will be the one that's that's making the decisions, and, and I think that's the way it's probably got to be. I think too as well when you look at Cathro's relative experience within the, the top level of Scottish football, at least he's going to have somebody like Levine, like Levine behind him that's that's got the idea. Of, how things work in Scotland and how you approach things and how you even approach certain people. He's, to all intents and purposes, he's come into Scotland as a, as a foreigner that's... He's never really been involved at the top level in Scotland, so... It'll be something, a culture shock to him. He'll be used to the continental ways, having spent so much time in Spain and Portugal and even working with Benitez at Newcastle. And then coming up to Hearts where officers are going to be pressure on the hearts he's, he's not going to get to be in a position where they can take it easy and results don't matter that much as long as they win one game this month or two games the next month he's got a demanding fan base he's got a good squad of players at his disposal so fans see those things and fans expect relative success so ah, it's Good luck to the guys, all I can say. Yeah, well. Right, so, well, let's get sort of back on to Tam's uh, career. So, after Falkirk, you obviously went to St Johnston. Yeah. So, how did that feel, um, moving on from a team? Yeah, it was, it was, it was a... A bit strange because I've been for Falkirk for so long, but it just came a time where, you know, it wasn't feasible for me and the club to to kind of stay there. Um, I had a few options um, elsewhere in the SPL, but you know, once I spoke to St Johnston, um, the kind of vibes I was getting off them and what they wanted to do and and push forward, the decision was pretty simple, and 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 I'm glad I went. I mean. Uh, Callum Davidson was the left back there at the time, and I spoke to Callum quite a bit at Stirling University because sometimes uh, St Johnston trained there while we were training there with Falkirk, and you know just to go and 
have a wee bit of experience under Cal as well. I mean, Cal's a player that's been there and done it in the English Premier League as well. So um, all the kind of things fitted in, and and uh, and it was to be fair, it was a correct decision that I made. Yeah, and then you went on to play well in uh, Europe as well. So yeah. How was that then? Like, well, did Brilliant. you um, underestimate any teams? No, we never un- we never underestimated any teams. I mean, to be fair, we had some really tricky ties. We played, um, we had Rosenborg one year, yep. and, and you actually uh, beat them as well. But yeah, beat Rosenborg. We yeah. played uh, Lucerne. We beat them. Um, we went to Turkey and played um, Eskerespor. I think that's the name. That was that, that yeah. was an experience. That was that was an unbelievable. Experience. That would have been uh, great because Turkey fans or Turkish fans. It's just they are out of this world. Like they're like pyros. I mean, everything. Like anything which is banned in Scotland, they've got it. Yeah, it was it was it was something different. I mean, we went over there and no knowing what to expect. And literally an hour and a half before the game, there was like ten thousand people in, in like the big main stand, letting off fireworks and that. It was crazy. But um, I think St Johnson and them. Became quite close over the two ties, and they still keep in touch. And I mean, these, these kind of ties you go into, you can't underestimate these teams because I mean, you know, you know they're going to be good players. You know that there's probably been a couple of times where you know we've underestimated teams. I mean, we played a team called um, Alashkar from uh, I think they were from Armenia. I think we played the first tie at home, um, or no away. Sorry, a first tie away, and it was like forty degree heat, but. You know, we underestimated them a little bit and they ended up putting us out. But um, as I say, it's difficult in Europe, especially if you're playing against these kind of sides like Rosenborg and, and Lucerne as such, where you know the, their budget's a lot bigger than yours. I mean, the wee guy for, for Rosenborg, the right back, he's now at Celtic, the boy Gamboa. You know, it shows like what what a good player he was. Um, so we never underestimated um, pretty much anybody when we went into those games because we knew that you know for a club like St Johnston it was a great achievement to be there and we just wanted to embrace it. Playing in Europe ever give you a taste to maybe go elsewhere in a longer term, like going to a season in Scandinavia or Turkey or something like that, or was it never really something that's that's crossed your mind much? I had the opportunity a couple of times when I was younger um, to go. Um, abroad, I had the opportunity to go to Azerbaijan once and the opportunity to go to Poland as well. Um, but, you know, I was enjoying myself at, Fol- at Falkirk at the time. I was playing first-team football every week. Um, and it wasn't really something that I was kind of pursuing. I mean, I know like sometimes you hear these horror stories when you go abroad about no being paid and, and this and that and that. And, and it does play on your mind. You're thinking, if I go... I'm settled here, I'm, I'm enjoying my football. If I go somewhere and things change, then what's going to happen? Um, but no, I did have a couple of opportunities, but for me, it just wasn't, it just wasn't what I wanted to do. I wanted to, to, to play in Scotland and try and play at the highest possible level in Scotland in the SPL, and I've been, I've been fortunate enough to do that for the majority of my career. Yeah, so, well, as you said, like... Uh, Oh, well, you've uh, settled here, and it's quite shown because, well, you've played, well, you've played, like, over 
like 200 uh, games in Scotland and about 100 in each team, uh, Finn Johnson and Falkirk and obviously you've not played yet for uh, for uh, Dundee uh, United. So how did it feel signing for uh, Dundee uh, United? Because they've had a lot of history. Obviously the only team in Scotland uh, to have a 100% record against Barcelona. Yeah, and I was made aware of that before I, before I even signed for them. And then, <laughs> I mean, when I was coming up, the Falkirk, when we first came to the SPL, um, Dundee were, were a massive club. You know, they were always there or thereabouts, challenging for, for trophies, getting to semi-finals, finals and that. So when the opportunity came, then, you know, it was something that I thought I'd you know, definitely like to pursue. And um, what I'm to get back to where they feel that the club deserves to be. I mean, I think they've got a, a fantastic fan base, you know, like with the old, out with the old firm you know, and Hearts and that, then they're right up there with their, with their fan base as well. So it was, very, it was a very attractive offer to come and play for a club that were wanting to to, to pretty much get promoted in money league and, and get back in the, in the Premiership and be part of a successful side. So you know, it was great to get the opportunity. Yeah, so... And as well, uh, about the Dundee, right, so you were also offered a contract, well, or maybe not offered a contract, uh, but you were in talks with uh, Dundee. So, well, so why, why did you not pick uh, Dundee? I'm, I'm, I know Neil McCann personally, um, and there was just a conversation, you know, oh. with Neil about, you know, would there be interest um, you know, he said that there possibly could be interest, um, but he wasn't in a position at the minute. Which, you know, I mean, it was it was as honest as he could be with me at the time. He had said that you know, maybe in a, a week or two there'll be a, an opportunity that I can come back to you and say, listen, there's such and such or whatever. Um, but he was totally honest, and and you know, I respected him for that. Um, so then, once we heard from Dundee United. You know, the, once I'd sat down and spoke to the club and the manager, everything he said was was great. I mean, I, I knew already they had signed Billy King, James Keatons, um, so they were really they were really trying to put a squad together that was going to, you know, definitely challenge for the title, if not win it, and uh, and get the, get them back into, into the Premier League. Where ultimately that's where I want to play, and hopefully next year I can play there for Dundee United. All right, so. Right, so the Dundee uh, rumours were just well uh, blown out of uh, proportion because, like, there were, like, the tele or the um, evening uh, telegraph uh, were making it out uh, like it was like a close deal, uh, like it was about to be signed, and then you just switched to uh, United, so it's blown out of proportion. Well, you know what the press are like; yeah. they're looking for a for a decent story, but yeah. no, I mean, I spoke to Neil. Um, once I was, uh, I'm quite friendly with Neil. Um, play golf with him quite a bit in that as well. So you know, once he got the job, I wished him all the best. And then it just so happened a few weeks later, I was in a situation where, you know, I was seeing if there was any more opportunities out there. So I, I spoke to him on a personal level, and he was honest with me and, and, and said what he said, and, and that was that. Um, you know, if if a couple of weeks had went by, possibly I could have been at Dundee. You'll never know, but. You know, I mean, I was delighted when Dundee United came in and, and, and gave me the, the option to go there. 
Yeah, so, well, why did you not uh, stay? Oh, well, stay at uh, St Johnston. Well, like, uh, what went down there? Well, I mean, I've, I think I've already said quite a bit in the press um, about the situation that happened. I was offered a, a contract that, you know, I didn't feel was acceptable and and, and that was it. I mean, I, I, that was the only reason that I left. So, you know, um, all aside, I mean, these things happen in football where, you know, you, you can't come to an agreement with a club. I couldn't come to an agreement with a club and I moved on and and, uh, and they've moved on as well. So that was that was pretty much it. Looking at the United squad just now, I mean, there certainly looks like there is a squad built there that if they go for the title this season and they get up back up to the Premiership, they seem to have the core of a squad there that could quite conceivably be the next three, four, five years. Did you get that impression when you were speaking with the manager that he was kind of looking to build something longer term? Or was it everything kind of geared just now towards we'll get back to the Premiership and then we'll take we'll look at where we go from there? I think first and foremost he was looking at doing the job that's put in front of him, which is to get out of the, the league that we're currently sitting and get back to the Premier League, which you know is the ultimate goal. But I think you've seen with the signings that he's made, he's signed good pros that have played at, at big clubs. You know, Billy King came from Hearts, Keats came, came for, for Hibs. Um, he he was also at Hearts. Billy had a spell at Rangers, he was at Inverness. He's got, he's got SPL experience. Um, so I think he's trying to add a bit of experience to his squad. And I mean, these boys are still really young. They're 23, 24, 25 year old. So, you know, they've got the opportunity to be there if they do well for the next you know, five, six, seven years and hopefully be successful with the club. And, and I think you're totally right. I think probably in the back of the manager's mind, they'll be thinking about, you know, once, obviously, hopefully we get back into the Premier League, then we'll just add to what he's looking to bring in. I think, he'll, I think he said that he's still looking to bring in a couple of more players um, for this season and then he'll just take it from there. So, no, everything is very positive what the manager and the club are trying to do at Dundee United and, you know, hopefully it's a success while I'm there. Yeah, well, uh, the very best uh, for your time at uh, Dundee uh, United, because, well, they deserve uh, to be in the Premiership. Top six, well, even top four is what they really really, uh, deserve for their place. But, as you said, uh, well, a wee bite, uh, well, a wee while back, and you had some uh, stories, uh, well, uh, from your European tour or your European nights against like the teams. Yeah, I mean, we um, we had some great European trips. Um, you know, the main one that stands out that all the St. Johnson fans talk about was the trip to Lucerne. Um, we had got a decent result over there. We went back to the hotel and, you know, the manager had said that we could have a couple of beers just to relax my mind. Um, so we sat down had the evening meal with a, a couple of beers and then somebody had a bright idea of deciding to go out for a, for a couple of more beers. So uh, I think that was Stephen McLean or Fraser Wright. One of the two of them decided they were, they were gone out. So we, we decided to sneak out 1v1. Hotel, managed to get outside. 
Um, we saw a man in the middle of the street digging a pothole. Um, we tapped him on the shoulder and, and asked him to take us to the, the the local pub for a beer. So about 12 of us jumped in the back of his, his white transit van with all his work stuff in it. Um, he drove down. We had said, listen, lads, a couple of quiet beers and we'll get away up the road. And just as we slid the door open, where the containers there with like 300 St Johnston fans and the directors and the chairman. Uh, so we were caught, you know, we were caught red-handed, but we thought, nah, in for a penny, in for a pound, we're going to go anyway. So <laughs> we, had, we, had a, we had an unbelievable night with the fans there at they still speak about it to this day. It was just a bit disappointing that the flight was like quarter to six the next morning and I was still sleeping at uh, five o'clock. I think they were going to miss the flight. I had to get, um, I had to get pretty much carried down to the bus <laughs> and then put the seat to make sure that I'm... I made the flight. I think the manager had pretty much told other players that I had five minutes to get on the bus and I was getting left in Lucerne. Um, and ultimately, you know, he, he, we got back and he found us all um, for going out, but it's it was worth the fine. I mean, I think if you spoke to any of the boys that were on that squad um, about the Lucerne trip and even the fans that were there, it was an unbelievable night out that we had with the fans and I got fined and all the boys got fined and it was worth it. It was a, it was a night to remember, as I'll say. Yeah, well, uh, <laughs> well, it seems uh, like a good night that type the night. But well, is there any like in, well uh, interesting room, uh, stories? Uh, well, like say a manager, uh, well, like uh, gave a player, uh, like say like the. Uh, like a Ferguson style uh, 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 treatment. Aye, I've had that a few times. Ooh. <laughs> I got to old Tommy Ray at Hibs one game. Slaughtered oh. me. And all I'd done was shake my head. And he said, stop it. And I just kept shaking my head. So he volleyed the, the, the physio table and pretty much flipped it over. <laughs> and I'm still there shaking my head and Big Fraser right saying, stop it. Stop, stop it. So eventually I stopped it. Um, but funnily enough, the manager decided to pick the table back up and every table that fell off decided to start folding it back into place properly and put it back on the table. Almost like you had OCD. <laughs> it was funny, it was funny as anything. After, after, ch- after the game we came in, we were doing the 10 men and we managed to draw on each and I came in and I just laughed and he started laughing as well. But I mean, I've had a few. Yogi used to be quite intense. Yeah. Stephen, Presley, Stephen Presley once at Falkirk came in after a game and ran and tried to kick the, the big ice bucket we had but he didn't realise the ice bucket was open so as he's, kicked <laughs> the ice bu- as he's kicked the ice bucket all the ice has fell out and you know Elvis is like hey, he's got like the brun the brun leather shoes nice, t- <laughs> nice tight um, fitted trousers he's kicked this ice bucket went about 10 foot in the air and landed on his back and got a slip for the front of his trousers all the way around to his back well, I, 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 I'm rolling in stitches and he, he couldn't even do his team talk he just had to leave literally within five seconds of getting up and we were all rolling about the changing room laughing um, but no I've had a few but in hindsight you, you've got to just laugh them off I suppose yeah well yeah because well at Celtic uh, there have been a couple of funny ones uh, which I've heard of like uh, 
James uh, Forrest uh, was uh, left covered in fruit and and stuff uh, like that, like bananas and just a lot of uh, rubbish after uh, Neil uh, Lennon uh, volleyed a fruit bowl at him, funnily enough. But, so, uh, what else? Well, like, there must be some, some like, really funny thing or funny story. Uh, well, which just sticks out. Who for me? Yeah. Well, there was this one trip as Fal- at Falkirk. We used to go to Holland every year. Yeah. And we went to this wee tiny place where there was like no cars. You had to cycle everywhere. <laughs> uh, so, like on the last night, we had played a game, and we decided to go for a night out. So, as you do, we'll we'll go down to the local, have a few beers, but they ran out of beer. Ooh. But he told us about a bus that, that take you to a, to a nightclub in the middle of a field. So he's just like, yeah, let's, let's crack on. So uh, all the senior boys were there. I was coming through. Scott Arfield, uh, Chris Mitchell was coming through. He goes to this nightclub and so we're there drinking and, and just cracking on and having a good time. And next minute we got a shout to go outside. There was like police in that there. So we goes outside. Uh, only to see Chris Mitchell decided he wanted to start doing handstands on this car outside the nightclub and it turns out that the, it turns out that the car was the owner of the nightclub's car and he had dented it on and he was jumping a bit on top of it so, we, so we're all like oh no what's going on here so uh, they phoned the hotel we were staying at to get a hold of, a hold of John Hughes so oh, no. he had to get the manager of the hotel to drive him down with Ross Wilson who was uh, who was working at a club at the time so as they came down to the police station the policeman's decided to breathalyze the manager of the hotel when he's actually failed his alcohol test. So he's been through in the cells as well. Wow. And, uh, yeah, so, uh, so so Yogi's like had to get a taxi with Roscoe and Chris Mitchell was just sitting in the middle with his head in his hands. Oh man, next day, the next day morning at breakfast, not a word was spoken. It was intense oh. as anything. We got made to, we got, we got 10 out at 6 in the morning, got made to do laps of the pitch. Everybody was in stitches once uh, Mitch had told us the story. They sat there just in the middle, but uh, the fact that the manager of the hotel got done with drink driving, he got his, uh, he's got his licence suspended and everything, all because Mitch decided to jump on top of a car. That sounds like an absolute horror story for, uh, for uh, the hotel um, uh, manager. Wow. Funnily enough, I think that was the last year we went back there. Yeah, I don't think uh, you would have been uh, welcomed back. I don't think. No, I don't think so. <laughs> so, well, where did you go um, after that? Or was that the time uh, you left to St Johnston? No, that was that was roughly right in the middle. I mean, um, uh, once uh, Yogi had left and went to Hibs, um, obviously Eddie May came in and and, and took over at Falkirk and it didn't work out and then obviously Elvis had a stint it was just I think I had a year with Elvis and then uh, then I left and went to St Johnston So so, so did uh, Tommy uh, Wright uh, do any like funny stuff in the uh, changing room like any shouting swearing yep. stuff like that Yeah that I don't think it had to do. It, had, it never had to do much because you know we're a senior, a senior squad. His nickname was the boy, kind of boy Bunt and the darts player. Aye. Yeah, yeah. 
that was his nickname in the darts room because he threw like him and looked like him uh, and he used to try and get a wee bit of stick out to the boys that that um that we were all players and that but he was he was a uh, he was definitely bunting anyway but no nah, he was he was a great character i mean he's quite a funny guy as well and he likes to, to have a laugh and that but he can be serious but nothing too nothing too over the top I think he, he knows the guys he knew the guys that were there anyway at the time done a job for him but nah he was good at times Tommy's somebody that seems to have a, a really growing reputation in Scottish football do you think he's somebody that before Long's kind of destined to move to bigger and better things or can you see him sticking at St Johnson to kind of carry on what he's been doing there. I'm I'm really surprised he hasn't got his move already, to be honest. I mean, if you look at his record, he's he's kept he's made top six every year he's been there. He's got in Europe three times, he's won the Scottish Cup. I mean apart from winning the league, what more can he actually do at St Johnston to for a bigger club to come calling and I, and I, and I don't know what it is that for some reason they don't find him attractive enough but I listened to a couple of people on the TV talk and try to say, oh, because he was a goalkeeper and because he's getting older. I mean, I mean, the man's success at St Johnston is unbelievable. I mean, it's literally a golden era for St Johnston Football Club and he's at the helm. I do not know why a bigger club has not come calling for Tommy Wright. And, and I think it will be soon. And I think, you know, it might not be an actual club that comes calling. I think the opportunity will be there if Michael O'Neill decides to ever leave Northern Ireland that Tommy Wright will be the next Northern Ireland manager. I think that's probably a fair shout. I mean, looking at the, the types of names that would be in the, in the reckoning for that, it would be hard to see past Tommy Wright, barring some extraordinary form candidate appearing out of nowhere. It would yeah, be the obvious choice there. Of course, and, and, and you've got to remember, he was also um, Michael's number number two assistant manager or goalkeeper. Aye. So he's he's been in there. He's he's worked with these players there. Eh? So I think you know if Michael were to get a big job, which I think it would take a big job to to, to take him away from Northern Ireland, um, then I think Tommy's name would be right at the top of the list. But I mean, you see you see jobs coming up. Down south, and it's and it's the same old managers that, that are on the merry-go-round. You know that get mentioned, and then you look down the list, and you've got Tommy Wright sitting there at like forty or fifty to one for the job, and you're thinking, you know, he for what he's done at St Johnston, he should be he should be top of that list, getting interviews at pretty much a lot of jobs that come down south. But for some reason, it's not happening for him. But I don't think it will be too long before a big club comes calling. I think St Johnston might find it difficult to hang on to. You even seen it when Derek McInnes was in talks to Sunderland. They started bringing up names as to who might replace McInnes up at Petodre. Mm-hmm. And Tommy's name wasn't the one that was, wasn't he, it was mentioned once or twice, but it wasn't one of the ones that people going, this this guy's the shoe in here. And it didn't really make any sense to me, just given that, as you say about success at St Johnson, he's worked with the, the international player in Northern Ireland. He's not put a foot wrong since he came to Scotland. And no. there's what you would argue would say, if no the next biggest job in the country after the old firm, it's one of. And he mm. could barely get a mention. It was crazy. I, I even seen people mention the likes of getting Craig Brown out of retirement. I know. 
Alex Neal as well. I think he was probably the um, uh, I, Alex Neal. I think he was the favourite, and I was I was the same. I was thinking, I was saying, surely if Derek decides to go Sunderland, Tommy's got to be up there with, with an interview and that as well. Like because I mean, a club like Aberdeen, you know, they like a bit of stability. I mean, Derek's been there for a couple of years. Tommy's obviously had a good stability at St Johnston. He's He's been success, successful at St Johnston on a budget compared to Aberdeen's budget as a shoestring. I think he's been shrewd with some of this, uh, the signings that he's made. So, I mean, I think if he was to be given um, more of a budget and more licence at a bigger club, then then he would progress it. And, and as I say, you know, I, I hope he does get the opportunity because he's actually a really nice man who works his absolute socks off to be successful. I mean, it's... You know, he's day in day out. He's he's trying to make things better at the club and trying to be successful. And, and year in year out, he, he keeps he keeps performing with the with the players to to be successful. And and you know, as I say, it surely can only be a matter of time before he before he gets the the knock at the door. Kind of looking across, like just all the different managers you've worked under, under in your career, you seem to have kind of had a little bit of everything. You know, you've had somebody like Yogi that was very much a kind of man manager type. You've had Stephen Presley, who'd always came across, at least comes across as a bit more methodical, a bit more thought out in his processes as to how he does things. You've got Tommy Wright, who to one time to purposely just got the magic touch. Do you think that kinda as you're getting on with your career now, you're kinda picking up these things that has happened in the past with under different guys, you're going, I can see now why say Yogi bollocked me for this or Elvis brought this method to training. And it's taken a how it's benefited the club and the players both. Yeah, I mean I mean, like when I was at Falkirk at a very young age, Yogi Hughes kept saying to me, "You need to do your coaching badges. You need to do your coaching badges." And I was, I was a young kid, like, "Ah, Yogi, I'll get them done. I'll get them done. I'll get them done." But now that I'm into like, I'm 29 now, that's definitely something that I'm wanting to do um, when I'm older. And, and as as you've said, working under these managers, you will pick up things that um, that they used to do and the way their training is and. You know how they set out their teams and and what they do behind the scenes and that and and as you say, you know I've worked with a, a number of managers where their approaches have been different and it, I think it's just about taking bits and bobs from each manager and trying to trying to curb your own, you know way of doing things. And as you've said, you know I've had I've had Yogi who was probably the best man manager I've worked with. Um, I've had Tommy Wright who leaves no stone unturned. I mean he demands. Of players, you know, the absolute best because he gives the absolute best and his, you know, and everything that he does to get to get them prepared for games. And as you say, Elvis, Elvis was loved a start. You know, Elvis loved watching the game and then looking at the stats and see who ran where um, and who done what and touches of the ball and, and stuff like that. And I think it's just kind of, I think it's just kind of putting all of them things together and then and then working your own way out about how you want to how you want to be a coach 
I mean, I mean, something for me that I'm looking to do next year is, is that I want to go and learn Spanish. I think um, that's part of the, the coaching um, protocol now. You have to not be fluent in a foreign language, but you have to be able to take instructions. And, you know, I've looked into doing some Spanish classes when I'm 30 and get my coaching badges started. And hopefully, you know, in the future, I'll have the opportunity to be a manager. Well, yeah, because you would want to know uh, different uh, languages for uh, the manager, like, could sign, like, completely uh, different people and, and would, like, help uh, those different people to uh, settle in. Uh, well, if it's got somebody there uh, that uh, could uh, translate uh, for them until they learn the uh, language. I mean, you just look at someone like, was it, oh, oh, God, what was his name? The Portuguese fellow, was it Falkirk? Uh, Pedro Matinho? Pedro Matinho, eh? And you just look at him, he, he came over here, and as far as I know, he's still with Bonesh United. And so, he, so he's come over here, and he's kind of fell in love, love with the whole Scotland. place. And, ah, it's, and it just shows that something's getting, you're getting guys that come over here, and you see foreign guys come into Scotland a lot, that they come over, they do a couple of years, and they vanish off to wherever they go. But you, you get some guys that'll come over, and they just, it's maybe just been the, the group he's came into, and the, the kind of the area he was in, the people that he was with. He came to Scotland, they went away, he's come back. I think he had maybe two spells at Falkirk. I think he had Did he? God, I, I, knew, I, knew, I knew he had a couple. Every year, man, he kept showing up to pre-season. You're like, <laughs> all right, Pedro, you back again? And then, oh, I'm not signing. And then, like, oh, he's got a six-month deal. Some <laughs> <laughs> <Dumb> boy. <laughs> he, was a, he was a good player, huh? Yeah, we had, we had, to be fair, we had a lot of... Decent players come in. We had uh, Vitor Limor as well. We had a centre half called Tiago, who was a bit crazy, but done a job. I mean, some of the boys that he brought over, and Yogi was smart as well. Like, he didn't just bring one Portuguese player over, he brought two or three so that they came in a crowd and their families stayed close to each other. And that. Russell was there, so he helped them. You know, and, and that's, the, that's the thing with um, a manager as well. I think you need to understand. I mean, the big one I see is Ian Cathro. I mean, the last game I played against him, he was speaking to Goncalves in Spanish or Portuguese or whatever it was, and I think that's totally beneficial for a manager and for players as well if you're able to speak one or two languages. Definitely. It's certainly something that, as you say, when you bring foreign guys across, even if it's just as simple as being somewhat conversational in Spanish or French or Portuguese or whatever, you can bring these guys in and while they might know, their English might not be great and your Spanish might not be great if you can get the bones the across to them across yeah that's exactly it you get the basics across to what you're trying to put across to them it can help much more and I think too like if for the club's perspective you've got managers or coaches or even players that have kind of shown that gumption to learn another language it makes the player feel that wee bit more valued as well they're not coming to a new environment and they're having to make all the adjustments yeah, because I mean, how many times does a player come in and then um, the players then got to go and learn the local language because this is where he's came? Wouldn't it be easier if you know you had someone there that spoke the language, but he could also pick up the language as he progressed through the season and he would get to know terms and such? Um, I think it's a it's a it's a two way it's a two way thing really. I don't think it should be just down to the player that's coming to the club to make sure that he can understand exactly what's going on. I think it should be down to the club to make sure that, you know, the player understands as well from the club that they're going to do everything to help help his stay because, I mean, it, it can only be beneficial 
I mean, there'll be nothing worse. I mean, if I went to a foreign country and the manager's screaming instructions and then uh, there's, there's, a, there's an interpreter next to him screaming instructions, then I scream something back to the interpreter and then he screams it to the manager. I mean, it's, it swings and roundabouts. Eh? You really need it. To, you really need to have it for A to B. And as you say, you know, it's something that the the the, the your coaching badges are now actually bringing in. You know, I spoke to a lot of guys in that that are there. And they have to do a little piece in a foreign language and and try and be a little bit fluent. So I think it's great. Definitely. Certainly. If anything, it's just a wee bit more professional. Yeah. yeah. So yeah, well, John Hughes, like, yeah, he seems a scary, 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 scary. I'm emphasizing oh, scary yes. person. Yes, scary. I've only spoke to him like a couple of times, and then uh, about uh, that was when I was uh, down at Rafe. Right? Yeah. And geez, he was, he seemed scary. Like he was shouting at players and that. I mean, no. I would. I could only imagine, well, that was how he was, remember, like in Falkirk. I remember at one point we were doing a, had an apprenticeship with Falkirk Council, and they took a handful of us down to a little curve to do it. It was, it was like a rudimentary coaching with, it was with Tam Elliott. Aye, Tam Elliott. Brilliant fella. But we, we were doing this kind of coaching and stuff, and you'd kind of see the players and the, the coaching staff kind of coming and going, and uh, Yogi would come over. And this, this day he'd come in and we'd seen him pull into the car park and he's wee, had a wee Hibs air freshener on his car. And I think he might have had a Hibs Reggie plate as well. I might he be did. on that. Aye, I thought he did. But I just I remember the Hibs air freshener and one of the boys that was there, he was a Falkirk fan and kind of called him out and it going, I think you got a Hibs air freshener for Yogi. And that was it. I've never seen somebody take a ball looking of a complete stranger quite like that in my life. It was fantastic. The boy never uttered a peep. Again, the time we were there. No, honestly, it was it was funny though when he got angry. His veins and that's that problem that he said he'd be like, Yogi, you need to calm down, huh? Like, he just, everything was really intense in that. But, um, I'll be fair, a lot of people said they they were quite intimidated by him. But once you actually sat down and spoke to him, you know, he's, he's actually quite a soft guy inside. He was, he was very compassionate to. You know, a lot of the guys, we had a couple of situations that happened at Falkirk at Little Kirsten, and the way he handled that was, was exceptional. And um, So he might have this big hard man exterior that he, he got for his playing days, but, you know, he had, a, he had a side to him as well where, you know, he would put his arm around you and help you, and I think that's what made him, you know, a, a, an unbelievable man manager. I always got the impression as well, it's maybe doing you get a disservice here, but I can I can as I've mentioned earlier about when news would come into Greenwood Complex and do stuff in the hall. And I was I must have been seventeen at the time, so I can I just try and peer in and just see what's going on. And as much as you'd see Yogi Jean everybody up, I always got the impression that Brian Rice was uh, not the brains behind the operation, but he was uh, he was a bad cop to Yogi's good cop. Aye. Chipper Chipper was the one that predominantly set training up and took training. Um but the way of them were just like a double actor. Right. Um, it was it was almost like chalk and cheese because Chipper never really got that angry at times. It did with young boys, Chipper. He got, he got angry at young boys and that. But when you were in the first team and that, he wasn't, he wasn't one of these ones that would stand and scream and shout and all that. Whereas Yogi would probably be the opposite where he's the one that would do all the shouting. 
Um, so they worked. I mean, their partnership together was was unbelievable, and the training they put on was great, and everybody enjoyed it. Um, and I think you need that. I think you almost need a counterbalance with your number two. You know, whether whether you're um, a, a coach where you didn't really want to run the riot act, it would be good if you could say a few words, you know, and went out, but then your number two read the riot act, or vice versa. You know, you read the riot act, and your number two will be the one that would speak to the players and calm it down a bit. So, you know, it's just about characters, and they two fitted really well together. Yeah, and then, well, uh, well we've not uh, spoke about your um, Scotland experience because you've played for the youth teams there, the um, under-19 and also the under-21 team. So yeah. How was that then? Well, for like the whole experience? Oh, it was, it was great. Um, I mean, I think um, first and foremost it was great to be involved because, I mean, I was a kid playing at Falkirk. You know, so, you know, back then it was literally um, a lot of Rangers and Celtic players that, even though they probably weren't playing the first team, they were, they were getting in the squads week in, week out. But then it kind of came a stage where, you, you know, you seen like uh, some Dundee players getting involved. Kevin McDonald for Dundee, um, myself, Scott Arfield, Chris Mitchell for Falkirk, um, Chris McGuire for Aberdeen. Um, you seen it kind of, kind of turn the tables a little bit where, where guys that were playing first-team football at smaller clubs compared to Rangers and Celtic were getting the opportunity. And, and I loved every minute. And some of the some of the, uh, the trips and games that we had were, were brilliant. And um, just to be a part of it and that, you know, standing there singing the national anthem for your country, uh, it's, it's a great experience that, you know, a lot of people don't get the opportunity to do. I mean, I thought we were still only at 21's level on that, but um, it was something that, I thoroughly enjoyed, and to be fair, you've, a lot of the guys that I played with in the, the 19s and the 21s, uh, even though we only played a, a number of games with each other, I still keep in touch with quite regularly as much as possible because, you know, um, it's something that you've went through together and experienced, and something that you know you're never really going to forget. Yeah, well, it would be hard to uh, forget well such a joyous and proud um, moment. Such as well playing for uh, your country, well at um, any uh, degree. But was there any well uh, stories like such as the uh, John Hughes ones and well, oh uh, well, dressing room stories? No, nah, I mean uh, I, I think it's difficult as. It's a bit more laid back at, at that level because yeah. obviously you're there playing for Scotland. You're not actually like contracted to them, so it's a, it's a difficult. It's actually a difficult one for the manager to manage because I mean, how far do you go with players? Um, you know, do, do, do you treat them as you're their first team coach at their club, or do you ease back a little bit? I mean, I, when I was in, we had we had Archie Knox. Who was um, who was the manager of the twenty ones? Just when I broke into it, he was great. You know, he he knew about the city players. Obviously, had been there and done it at Rangers with with Walter Smith and that, and um, just to be just to actually play for him and that. You know, this icon, pretty much of Scottish football and uh, of Rangers, especially um, that was great. So I mean, changing rooms kind of differed along with training. Training training was different as well. It was more toned down. It was more geared to you know less injuries and not doing too much and just leading up to games whereas training for your first team you would go out and train as hard as you could for 
for the four or five days leading up to the game. But it's a it was a great experience that that I'm pretty sure everybody involved would have would have thoroughly enjoyed. Do you think it helped going to the, the Scotland squads having guys that you're familiar with at club level? So like you guys like Chris Mitchell, Scott Ash, would you think that helped you just to go into a squad of guys that you maybe only knew from playing against and you didn't really have it, your club mates that you're, you're away every day? You're on the training ground, you're in the stadium, whatever else. You know these guys fairly intimately. But when you go with a national squad, it's guys that you've you've maybe never really interacted too much with. So do you think that? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I think I think it's great the fact, you know, that we had uh, we had three or four boys that were involved, and as you say, it is quite daunting going into a going into a squad, especially for your first time being called up for the squad. You know, that's that's going to be an experience, and there's nothing worse than going down for lunch and you're looking about where to sit and who to speak to and that, but. Um, I don't think there was a there was a problem. I don't think that's as big a problem in Scotland as it might be elsewhere with other countries. I think we're quite a to be fair, in the most part we're quite a humble nation. I think we're quite humble as in players that were involved in the squad that I was involved with. You know, there wasn't really anybody that was that thought they were better than what they were or, or stuff like that. Everybody was quite grounded and you know, as I say, you've got guys like Archie Knox that would I mean once you go out of the line he just put you right back in your place. So he made sure that everybody, everybody was involved with everybody. But it was good to have Scott and Chris and that there, just to, just to kind of feed off and and have a laugh when you go back to the room and that. But you know, the rest of the boys that were there, that you know, you probably wouldn't have met at all uh, through football. I um, I thoroughly got on with them, and you know, whenever you see each, each other now and then, you you sit and have a chat and that and talk about. You know some of the some of the stories about when we went away trips and that with Scotland and how we enjoyed it. Was there any well in well um nights out in the Scotland teams, such as the uh, St Johnston ones? No, that that kind of got turned on its head once um once the first team, you know, the Fergie and McGregor and thing and that um, kind of happened in the first oh, yeah. team. It, it literally fed its way for the first team right down to you know the 19s levels 21s level so you know when we were in there it was kind of at a stage where once you had finished a game they would sit you in a room and say right you can have two beers and that's you you're away to your bed so you never really got the opportunity to you know to, to go out and, and, and have a good time and to be fair you know most of the boys probably wouldn't have went out because it was such an honour to play for your country and you didn't want to Kind of mess it up or, yeah. or, or ruin it or, or I mean there'd be nothing worse if you got phoned and told you weren't in the next squad because you had went out for a beer and got and got drunk and that so nah there wasn't too much and as I say once once it kind of kicked off with the, with the first team squad and there was all that happened it, it really got nailed in the bud and, and pretty much it was a, it was probably a, a two half pints of beer and that was you and you, you were allowed to go to your bed and that was that Oh. So, well, a couple, well, uh, one uh, question. Right, so, what is your uh, best, um, what, well, actually, who is your best eleven on the players uh, you have played with? Uh, I mean, I'm going to text my earlier, so I was, yeah. 
hard looking back, eh, trying to find players, man. I was having to Google way back to like 2006 and all that. <laughs> um, but I've got a team anyway, so I thought if I've missed anybody out, then they'll phone me anyway. But I've got a team anyway, so in goals, I've gone for Casper Schmeichel. Oh, yeah. Uh, he came on Monty Falkirk yeah. uh, for a season, he was great. Um, we had a lot of good goalies to be for, we had Tim Crowell as well, who was at um, Newcastle but Casper um, but for me was just like one of those he had a wee bit of arrogance about him Casper he knew he was he knew he was a good goalkeeper I don't know if it, I don't know if he had a wee bit of arrogance because of who his father was but he had a kind of swagger about him as if to say like you know I'm I'm going to be a good goalkeeper and I, I, I mean it's shown I mean there's talk I'm now going to Manchester United so um He's done something right, yeah. He's won the Premier League with Leicester and, and done brilliant. So he's definitely got to be my, my goalkeeper anyway. Okay. Um, and and uh, what of your uh, formation? I've just went for the standard four. Oh, well, wait a minute. <laughs> I'm just going to go for a... F- 4-4-2 four, four, but there's a wee guy that's going to like slip in at the hole for centre mid alright ok so at right back I've got Jackie McNamara oh yeah he's um, good yeah he came for a season and a bit at Falkirk he was great um, and obviously number of years at Celtic playing at the highest level at centre half I've gone for current St Johnston player Stephen Anderson he is and- your he is your out-and-out defender. If you wanted a guy to be a defender, then he is your man. He's just, he absolutely loves defending. <laughs> and he's like the dearest guy in the world, man, but he just loves defending her. So he's definitely going to be in there. Next to him, I'm going to play him slightly to position. I'm going to put Dave McKay, who's yeah, the, yeah. the, the Stone Albert manager. He was right back for me when uh, I was at St Johnston, but he also played in centre half. He should have got a Scotland cap in his career, in my opinion. Um, but never. But he was a he was a great guy. Uh, at left back, I went for Calum Davidson. I don't think I need to say too much. I mean, the man played in the Premier League for Blackburn, Leicester, played for Preston. You know, he's uh, played for Scotland numerous times. He was a a real good player. And, and he still showed it even at his later stages um, his career when I, when I met up with him at St Johnston my midfield four starting on the right hand side will be Danny Swanson yeah. he is technically one of the best players I've played with I think he gets the fans on the edge of their seat once he picks the ball up I think Hibs fans are going to be delighted to see him in the in the, uh, the green jersey this year I think he's he's going to do really well for them he's, he's just one of these players that just loves to run and dribble with the ball and try things and I mean he's no scared to make mistakes so he's in there next to him in centre midfield I'm going to have Scott Arfield I think he speaks for himself I mean he's played week in week out in the Premier League he's uh, got a fantastic career um, which I'm sure he'll continue to do and he's a very good friend of mine so he had to go in next to him I'm going to put the best player that I've ever played with in my career and that is Russell Latipet could I put my house on that one <laughs> that guy is an absolute genius I swear to God he is 
he actually used to do a training drill at Falkirk where he would have like a box. He'd get Yogi to mark a box out and he would get like 20 of the young lads and he would have a minute to get the ball off him. And if you got the ball off him, he would give you a week's wages. And he went through it for 20 minutes. Every single boy got one minute in this box, which was probably six or seven feet each way. Nobody got the ball from once. For 20 minutes, all he kept the ball off every single person one-on-one. He was just... It was just a joy to play. I mean, some of the things they saw on a football pitch and done left and right foot was was things that you could only dream of. Um, and it was just a, a great guy as well, just to just to have in yeah. the changing room, just so laid back, just just loved life. Every, I think everybody knows that he enjoyed his lifestyle outside of football, but it never it was never detrimental to to whenever he played. And you know, he probably wanted. Probably one of Falkirk's greatest ever players, to be honest, like the map. And next to him on the left hand side, I've got Neil McCann. Um, he came to Falkirk at the same time as Jackie McNamara, but actually had a decent season. Um, managed to stay in the league and go to the Scottish Cup final, where Neil, I think Neil had a crossbar a couple of times against Rangers. Oh, yeah. that, that was a game that Genovo scored for about 45 yards, mind you. Fair throw, and he just shelled it out of the goal he's hit. In fact, Chris Boyd came off that game at half time because it was too hot. Uh, too hot, aye. I was like 40 degrees at pitch side. Um, 40 degrees in Scotland? Aye. Oh, God, aye. It was something stupid at pitch side. It, it was needing oxygen when we were walking up a tunnel. It was, <laughs> honestly, it was hyperventilating. But, um, nah, Neil, Neil McCann, I mean, Harps fans, Rangers fans will know about Neil. I mean, he was just one of these wingers that love to get the byline and get crosses in the box and you know, he put numerous balls in the books for um, for Falkirk. He actually set up my goal in the semi-final against Dunfermline from across, so um, he's definitely in there. My two up tops are going to be Anthony Stokes, who, when he came to Falkirk, he just lit, he just lit the, the SPL up. I mean, I think he scored three hat-tricks in three weeks one season. Um, a young kid at 17-year-old just came up here with so much desire to play and and score goals and and he did that in abundance and you know he got his move to Sunderland and yeah. albeit that didn't work and out then again. Celtic. and then Celtic yeah and, you know I think possibly he's talking I'm trying to make, maybe get a move to Hibs so we'll see how that one pans out but yeah. um, nah he was, a, he was a great player he was a good finisher as well uh, and the one next to him will be Stephen McLean at St Johnston who for me as a target man He's not the biggest in the world. He's probably not the strongest, but what he will do is he will hold that ball up for you uh, night and day. He's so comfortable when the ball's fired into him, you know, just taking it with some guys on his back. Um, he pretty much links St. Johnston as a whole. You would probably think it would be like a centre midfield, but it's not. It's Stephen McLean that links everybody up. You know, he's, he brings guys into play. Everybody that plays with him says that he's, he's great to play with. Um, and he's another one of my mates, so I had to put him in there. But he's, um, no, nah, he's definitely in there as well. He's a, he's a top class player. Yeah, and how about your captain? Captain will have yeah. to be Dave Cuptai McKay. <laughs> Cuptai. Cuptai him. But I need to ask, actually, did you never enjoy one of Russell's famous nights out in Rosies? Well, hot, well, <laughs> there has been a few. You know what they used to do? 
Brussels and the Portuguese used to go to a restaurant in Falkirk, right? And you know what women are like, yeah? So women would obviously all go to the toilet at the same time. Aye. So see when the three wives went to the toilet, they three would like come out the come out the whole the, the restaurant and run up to Rosie's nightclub and hide in the corner. So Fantastic. I'd be in, I'd be in the nightclub with like Liam Craig and Patrick Craig and that and we'd get a tap on the shoulder for Russell Misty's that. Scobes, have you seen have you seen Russell in that? And I'm like, nah, I don't care where, uh, where Russell in that is. I don't think he's in here then. And you would see the three women walking about Rosie's trying to find him. And you look over in the corner and him, Pedro and Vito would be absolutely chuckling to each other in the corner. And their missus ended up just going, hey, man. It was the funniest. They used to do it every week. And I don't know again how they got away with it and managed to like make it up to their missus, but they'd done it every week. But no, he was brilliant, Russell. He was, uh, as everybody knows, he liked a good night out. Oh god, I, I mind we met him, him and Dwight York and Rosie's one night. Ah, yeah, I was there. Uh, and you're just like, fight Dwight York and Rosie, this this isn't right. <laughs> uh-huh. he, he paid. Um, he went when when he was walking, when we were walking to Rosie's. He had a big wad of cash in his hand, and he gave it to the bouncer and says, "You'll come with me." So the bouncer followed him a bit all night. Brilliant. Just to make sure nothing happened. Because Russell, we were we were in Durham one year for pre-season, and Russell went and met him in Newcastle. And then we couldn't find Russell next to game morning when we were trying to come here. And then he would meet Big Dwight. <laughs> no, he went, and met, he went and met Dwight. We went out in Durham and he went to Newcastle. Unreal. In fact, one year in Portugal, we went out to a Brazilian restaurant, Russell had us, and a, and a guy came over and sat down with this, this hat on. And I think he kind of sat between Russell and the manager, Yogi, at the time, and Yogi was like, oh, what are you doing? What are you sitting there for? I got my seat, thinking it was a random person. The boy whipped his hat off and it turned out it was um, Deco. You know the boy used to play Russell? Aye. He had spoke to Russell and Russell said he was in the area, so he came in with a couple of beers with Russell and the manager. Uh, you'll be like starstruck. Russell, Russell obviously played well when he was at Porto and that, so he came over for a couple of beers and that. Eh? Oh. Or the boys were just sitting there starstruck. I'm no harm. Who is this? Hi. Yeah, I would. Yeah, like. If I was about to meet, like, a footballer, like, no, no, because you think, oh, well, because uh, you're their footballers, uh, yourself, like, you wouldn't be starstruck, but, like, in the same way, like, they are still, like, idols, uh, oh, well, uh, to you, because, like, they're the world's best. Mm. Yeah, like... So, speaking of idols, then, who was uh, yours growing up? Um, I love Brian Loudropper. Brian Loudropper. Yeah, he's... I loved him. I mean, my, I was kind of brought up as like a Falkirk fan, but my, my dad and my uncle were massive Rangers fans. You know, they used to watch every game. So I went to a few games with my uncle. Um, I went to some of the European games, which were unbelievable. Um, and just the team that they had at that time, eh, was... Yeah. And for me, he was on a different level, to be fair. He was, like, unbelievable. Yeah. I may have been a bit of cheating, but, you know, we'll skim past... Nah, I'm joking. Rangers didn't cheat. Right? They just played... They played the system. Hands up them, they played the system, right? I was half expecting to see something like Richard Cadetti there. Yeah, no. like I was <laughs> no. expecting, uh, yeah, I was about to say, I was about to say a centre-back, so like, well, 
Yeah, they, well, to be fair, I wasn't, oh, I wasn't actually a centre-half yeah. or defender well, until I was 16. Yeah, I wasn't, there was a guy at Falkirk called Richard Fox who decided to turn me into a defender. Yeah, that's like what most footballers do. I used to play. Well, like, you start off like, somewhere else, yeah. Well, maybe, uh, well, if you were playing uh, centre-mid, you could have ended up at some diddy wee team down in the Lowland League or Highland League or something, but you're living the high life of Dundee United. I wasn't quick enough enough to play centre-mid. I think that's what the boy tried to say to me at 16, but in a polite way. I think you'll you'll do well at centre-half scopes. Really, I was thinking, now you're too slow to play centre-mid. You play... Full ball, uh, well, you don't always play a uh, full back, but that's like where you mostly play. Yeah, no, I played to be fair. Well, you like a defensive one. Or are you? Sorry? Are you like a defensive one? No, they're pretty at Falkirk. As people probably know, Falkirk used to play football from the back out, and Yogi liked his full backs to get forward, so when I was playing at Falkirk come through, I used to try and get in the box as much as possible. You were like a Carlos or Roberto Carlos? <sighs> nah, I wouldn't go that far. <laughs> You're a wing back. Uh, some, some really good stuff under Yogi. He, he really did seem to like setting his teams up. Oh, they, they maybe were not going to win every game the way it was set up, but he'd rather go down 5 4 than go down 1 0. Yeah, I think that. I think. Sometimes after games, he was more disappointed if like we came off and hadn't played as well as we could have, and won a game rather than played brilliant and got beat, which was quite strange in a way. But I mean, if he had come off at the end of the game and, and been beat two one, but played the way he wanted you to play and, and pretty much battered the team, but just hadn't got the breaks, you know, he was happy with that. Eh? As long as you played the way that he wanted you to play, and and nine times out of ten, you know, I, I came off for a club like for a club like Falkirk. In the, in the Premier League so I mean no he was definitely one of the guys that wanted to get it done and, and pass it as much as possible which he's also continued doing when he went to Hibs and Inverness and such so you know that's his philosophy So but now you're at uh, there at uh, United so how the first couple of uh, t- uh, training sessions been because you said uh, you had a double one uh, today yeah, session. I mean, it's, yeah, it's been tough, um, but you expect that. I mean, this is my this is my thirteenth preseason, so I'm pretty used to you know the kind of goings on. But um, obviously, when you go into a new club, you want to make sure you're going in in the best shape possible. And I've done a lot of work over the summer to make sure that I was I was there or thereabouts. And I mean, for the minute I walked in. All the boys have been fantastic. Um, all the new signings that are there, everybody seems to have gelled really well. We played our first game um, the other night, which we won 3 0. So um, the sessions have been tough, but it's, it's nothing that, that, that you wouldn't expect. I mean, you know, they push you as much as they can, but, you know, not that far where it's, it's unbearable and going to break you and they give you time off when you need time off. So, um, it's been good. We've got a couple of games this weekend. We've got a game Friday and a game Sunday leading into the first um, cup game against Wraith Rovers, uh, which is a week on Saturday. And, and it's all hands to the pump. And, and I think now we're at the stage where we've done pretty much the majority of running. It's now down to you know, how he's wanting to play and, and getting the team set up and, and stuff like that. And uh, but I think we'll be doing that in the next couple of games, which will be fantastic to, to, to finally do. And, and uh, look forward to the season coming up. Yeah, well... 
what are your um, expectations like for it? Like to uh, well, I'll win the league and go up, or just get there? Uh, well, via playoff. No, I, I think uh, first and foremost, um, promotion's got to be our aim. Um, for a club like Dundee United, as we've said, they've been successful in the past. Uh, they should, really should be back in the in the SPL, but you know it's, it's down to the players and the manager to get that to get that done. We're um, we're putting a squad together that the manager believes is going to go and make that happen, whether it be promotion or winning the league. You know, preferably it would be winning the league, which I'm sure most of the guys would say. We know it's going to be difficult, but you know he's signed players that he, he thinks has got the experience and the and the level of ability to go and do that and. I mean, I wouldn't have came to a club like Dundee United if I, you know, if I didn't think that we were going to be successful and, and the stuff that the manager and the club were saying to me uh, was exactly along the lines of what I was thinking. So definitely we need to get ourselves back in the in the Premier League. Yeah, and then, well, after that, and then, and then well, whenever you uh, retire, and then what are you thinking then? Coaching? A manager job. Yeah, I'd like to. I'd like to get into coaching. Um, I said. Uh, I said earlier on that you know next year, this this year, next year, I'm going to start doing my badges and and stuff like that. And uh, it's something that I'd be very passionate about doing. You know, and hopefully I get the opportunity to do that. I'm, I know it's very difficult to 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 break into management as such, but you know it's something that I. That I've always wanted to do for a very, very young age, and so that would be the next step for me. And whether that be going and starting off as a coach or a, or a youth coach or an assistant manager or whatnot, you know that's that's something that you probably have to do first before you, um, before you be a, a fully fledged manager. You know, you think you see a lot of that. Calm Davidson's doing it right now with with Tommy Wright. I'm sure Calm and a, a few years to come might fancy going himself. And you know the fact that he's done four or five years as a number two, it gives him that wee bit of extra knowledge before he actually steps into a full-time job himself. So, you know, hopefully that's that's an opportunity for myself. But as I say, it's, a, it's difficult to to guarantee it. So, um, you know, I might need to look at something else, which I'll, I'll do in the meantime. So hopefully that's the way forward for me. Yeah, well... Uh... Would be good, uh, well, to get back it, but uh, well, not to get back into, but like to do uh, coaching and yeah, but to like stay at your team, to stay at uh, United and coach and build up your uh, relationship, or even uh, go back uh, to your boyhood club and coach or uh, manage there. But I mean, you'll be what thirty in March, Tom. So. How much longer do you see yourself playing for? Do you see yourself still going the best part of another decade, or are you kind of one of these ones that sees yourself hanging your boots up quite early and then moving into coaching? Or I think of... uh, I think it will come down really to I mean how your body reacts. I mean if he's, every player that I speak to that has retired, they've always said that they wish they gave it one more year. So. Um, I think a lot of it's down to personal pride as well. Are you still able to perform at a decent level? Do you have to go, you know, to a, a club lower down the leagues? Have you still got that drive to pull yourself out of bed in the morning 
when they go to training at, at a certain age. I think there's a lot of factors involved. Well, if it was an opportunity, if it was an opportunity in the in the future, you know, to to step into coaching, then that would be a that would be an opportunity that would be looked upon. But you know, as long as as long as these old legs can keep up, then I'll, I'll hopefully play as long as I can before um, I take my next step. So, now nah, hopefully, long may it continue. Yeah, well, uh, would you be uh, willing to uh, allow to um, go uh, down into the further of all going down, but like uh, lower into the pyramid, like playing for like an Edinburgh City or a Montrose or a team like that? I'm not sure. I mean, it's, it's, it's difficult to say um, what's going to happen in the future. You know, uh, as I say, uh, it comes down sometimes to, you know, if you've played at a high level for the majority of your career, you might find it difficult going to play at a, at a level that you're not used to as such. So, I mean, it would all come down to how I felt at that point in time. I mean, it might be a case at that stage where I would say, right, I'm fully going to focus on my coaching and, and hopefully pursue a, a line of work that way and just leave the football. But as you say, you never you never know in football. I mean, you know, you might end up going to Edinburgh City at, 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 a, at a decent age and, and then a player coaching role there at certain clubs uh, offer that as well. So, I mean, the options are definitely there for you. It's just hopefully trying to choose the correct one for you. And, and once, you, once you do, then given everything you've got, yeah, well, you've seen that with uh, Gary uh, Kenneth. Like, he started at uh, Dundee uh, United, and now he's at, oh, who's he at? He is at a lower league team, like, proper uh, lower league team, and he's only 30. He is at, I played with Gary Kenneth yeah. um, in the Scotland squads. Yeah, yeah, like, he, like, he left uh, United in 2012, and now he's at Douglas Amateurs FC and he used to actually play for Scotland and he's only 30 so yeah. it just shows you yeah, it just shows you my dad almost always swore by Gary Kenneth always insisted he was going to be the next big big thing in Scottish football it just never quite happened for him yeah yeah like it's a shame because like he was actually a good player and I've got no idea how on earth he could end up at such a low team but that was only because he took a risk and went down to Bristol Rovers. Um, well, as it goes for most players, oh, will that leave and go and go down to and go down to um, an English team? The majority of them flop, and it's not nice like to see them flop. And now with that, I mean. Douglas. So. Right. And he's won the Scottish Cup. I think I even dare to say he was a captain then. Odd. No, he might have been actually. Because he, he was. a good player, guy. Yeah. yeah. It was a decent. It was a good player. Like, um, I think he uh, actually got a couple of bad injuries as well, which didn't. Uh, which didn't help him, but a lot well, of well. You had an injury as well, uh, didn't you? Like a pelvic injury or something. I am a pubic one. Yeah. I was. Like, how was that uh, bouncing back uh, from that? Well, worst thing ever. It took me about two and a half years. 
Yeah. Well, how was it uh, sustained? More to... No, it's just a, I think it was just an, over, an overload and your your pubic bone swells up. Yeah. And then we tried that thing to get rid of it, but it just got to a stage where um, for about a year and a half I was taking injections every like eight weeks. I was getting two injections into my, my pubic bone every eight weeks just to keep playing. Um, yeah. And it, just, it never settled. It wasn't until I actually ten like three months rest that it started to feel decent again. And um, eventually, I, I, I went and saw a masseuse that I used to go and see in Edinburgh, and, and he pretty much worked me for about an hour and a half. And next again day, I woke up and the, the pain was gone, which was a blessing in disguise. Yeah, like it wouldn't be good, like pain. Well, I'm not pain, but like, well, uh, well, first of all, the pain uh, well, uh, uh, well, wouldn't be good. But the injury, like, would be bad. And then the, uh, then the, um, the mental injury, well, like, for sustaining one. And, well, the mental power, or the willpower, uh, to get through, like, such an injury. And it took something like, 18 months, I think, it took. I. Or something. It took a, a very long time, but um, I was quite young, so I was playing for a manager who, you know, had a run through a brick wall. So, yeah. I mean, there was no doubt that I was going to try and keep playing as long as possible. Um, not, really, not really thinking about the effects later on in my career, you know, what could, what could happen with taking these injections. I mean, once obviously every time you you have an injection you're at risk of something, you know. And for me to have injections every like eight weeks to keep playing, um, which was totally my choice to do. Um, obviously, I was putting myself at risk, but these are kind of the things you didn't think of as a young kid. Uh, but once you get older, you realise, you know, then you say to yourself, "Well, do I really want to push it and take that injection? Is what's what's the chances of me breaking down? What's the chances of this?" Um, but I mean, I wouldn't change it. I mean, I. I actually played in the the Scottish Cup final before Cup with that injury. So, I mean, if I hadn't if I hadn't been taking the injections, I wouldn't have, I wouldn't have been involved in the Scottish Cup final or, or that. So, I mean, in hindsight, as I seen it as a correct decision. Yeah, well, in the forty uh, degrees blistering heat, it could have been a lot worse. Huh. <laughs> so yeah, well. How was it though in the Scottish Cup, like stepping out for uh, your boyhood club against uh, Rangers as well? Yeah, it was it was a bit surreal. Um, Yogi had actually invited along uh, Craig Gowan's father. Craig was uh, the young lad who had an unfortunate accident at, my, um, at Little Kers when we were only 16, 17 at the time and sadly lost his life. but the, the club kept in contact with Craig's family and he he gave a, a quite emotional speech before the game and, and Yogi invited him to walk us out so with, with his name engraved in our um, our warm-ups at Tops which to this day I still have hanging in my in my wardrobe you know it's something that I won't I will never get rid of because you know it felt like Craig was a part of that so that was that added more to the the emotional intensity of the game and obviously playing against Rangers who were flying at the time you knew it was going to be difficult and 
uh, to come so close. I mean, we had them a few times. Like we, I mean, we we rattled them a few times the way we played, and I think at the end it was they were hanging on a wee bit, um, and we just ran out of time and and they're locked in the fall on the day. I mean, Nachinova scored a a freaky goal, which I mean he could have hit that a hundred times and nine times it would have went out for a throw on a corner or or a bike kick, sorry. And but on that day he he caught it. Perfect and it landed in the net. So, I mean, it was really difficult to, to accept it after it, you know, the fact that we performed so well. But, I mean, we went back and we seen the fans and they were so joyous and, de- joyous and delighted that we managed to get a club like Falkirk to, to the Scottish Cup final. I mean, the week before, we literally played Inverness in the last game of the season and we had to want to stay up. So, I mean, it showed you the, the difference in the, in the two types of games. So, I mean, one week we played Inverness and we managed to scrape a one 0 win. Danny Marlow, the goalkeeper at the time, had a save that you know I'll always remember. I mean, it was one of the best saves I've ever seen in the last couple of minutes to keep it to keep it one 0 and, and for us to stay in the league. And then the next game week you're going away to to Hamden Park, the National Stadium, and play against uh, Rangers Football Club and the you know obviously the biggest game in, in, in Scottish football. It was it was great to be a part of. Yeah. Yeah, and you mentioned uh, football talks as well. So, who, well, or who is the biggest? Uh, I'll put this properly, right? So, who's short? Like, have you got? Oh, well, like the biggest player. Nobody really. I I'm. I'm not really one for swapping shots, sir. Because um, yeah, a lot of footballers are. Because like, almost, it's sort of a theme now. Yeah, but. I mean, I'm not really, I'm not really one for after a game to say to guys, "Now, oh, can I get your top in that?" But I almost feel so, almost a wee bit embarrassed saying to players, "Now, can I get your top?" Because I mean, you're out there trying to perform against them and, and do well against them. You know, I probably wish that I had asked more players um, to get some tops. I mean, we played Man City in a pre-season friendly uh, for St Johnston last year, and. Um, you know, the boys, a lot of the boys got Yaya Toure's top and uh, Najri's and Aguero's and Silva's and that. So, um, you know, they asked for them. But, I mean, I'm just one of those guys that never really um, picked up anything like that along the way. I was just never one to to, to swap a top, especially in defeat. I mean, I was a, I was quite a bad loser. Well, I am quite a bad loser. So, after a game, you know, I just want to get in the tunnel and the changing room and... and and pretty much get away from it because, you know, I I hate losing. It. I couldn't get any worse after a game than, than saying to a player, oh, by the way, you've just beat us 3 nothing there, can I get your top off? Wasn't <laughs> the fanboy, but... Aye, I mean, that's... That's not really me. I, I'm, and, I, and I know a lot of boys are different. They, they try and take it. And um, my, good, my good mate, Stephen McLean, he's got a room in his, in his house where he's got, you know, a lot of tops framed and... And um, and hung up, you know, for his time at Rangers and Cardiff and and stuff like that. So, I mean, it's just any just any preference. Eh? But for me, I, I've I've not really got any tops. As I say, I've I've got the the training top that I wore in the Scottish Cup final, that which I'll I'll always keep, um, and stuff like that. But apart from that, no, nah, that's that's probably it. I mean, just going back to just what you have mentioned, Craig Gowans. It was. Correct me if I'm wrong here. It's Scott Ashfield wears his number now, doesn't he? Thirty-seven. Yeah, 
Yeah, you best thirty seven, I changed one. Aye. Aye. Now, was, uh, I'm guessing that we used for what sixteen, seventeen at the time. So was that something that kinda of gave you that wee extra bit of drive given that you had this mate that was as close as the rest of you were to, to living the dream and then what happened happened and just they sadly passed on. So was that something that just kind of even across the whole group just gave you just that wee extra wee extra motivation to kind of make it to the top? Yeah, definitely. I mean, this was a young lad who had everything going for him, not just on the football side, but athletic-wise and, and um, uh, school-wise and such. He was he was quite an intelligent student as well, and he had other options he could have chose. But for him, he wanted to be he wanted to be a football player. Um, and on that fateful day. Uh, little cares, you know, his family's world came crashing down, and 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 along with a lot of the boys' world because, I mean, you never expect anything like that to happen on a training pitch, and it was just something that, you know, long living the memory of the boys that were there, and, um, I mean, all the boys that were there, I mean, we still meet up. Craig's dad's done a fantastic job of keeping his memory alive. He's with his charity, I mean, they're helping out a lot with the, the new building that's getting put up in Edinburgh, the hospital for the, the sick kids. Right. And um, there's a lot of black tie events that myself and Scott and Mark Stewart and Dan Barbie went to uh, a very good event there where they raised money for um, for the kids that are going to be coming into there to try and make it uh, more manageable. They have a, a, um, a football match every year where they play uh, one of the Edinburgh sides. Um, to raise money as well to to go towards the charity, um, and obviously, you know, last year we had the sad, the, the tragic uh, death of our other teammate Chris Mitchell, who, yeah. you know, which was which was like a nail in the a nail in the heart to be honest, because I mean we had grew up played with each other for a, a number of years as well. His charity is now up and running as well. He's got some um, some functions coming up that his his sister and his family's. Um, sorting it as well on behalf of his charity so you know I mean it just shows that you know we're very fortunate to be in a position uh, playing football where you know these, these guys have unfortunately passed away and, and tragic events have happened and, and it makes you appreciate going into training every day and, and, and playing football but not only the football side but the family side as well coming home I mean I've got a wee girl now five year old to um I absolutely do dot on. I've got a missus. You know, uh, my family is really important to me. So I think it just puts things in perspective. And and these kind of situations are things that you never really expect to happen, but they but they have. Um, and yeah, and you always keep them in your mind. And you know, these are these are things that you know it almost keeps all the guys together. I mean, we all met up once. Uh, Chris had passed. We went to a folk game and. Myself and Mark Stewart managed to get in touch with pretty much everyone that was in the youth squad with Chris when they were 16. Um, and in about 20 hours came along and we sat with his family and watched the game and that. So, you know, it's it's, it's kept us all together and it's, it's almost got a bond there that will pretty much never be broken. Obviously, with these tragic events, which were uh, devastated, happen, there's there's a little bit of light at, it, at, at the back of it, whereas it's kept guys together that, you know, you know what football's like, you you play the guys for a couple of years and then they move on and you don't really see them. But, um, you know, a lot of us are still in close contact with each other through, obviously, Chris and Craig and, and stuff like that. And the families have been fantastic and and, uh, and welcoming um, 
all the boys that played with Chris and Craig and, and chatting to them at various events and that. So, um, that's certainly, certainly, a, obviously, a, it was a difficult period, you know, when the things happened. But um, it's, it's, we've got memories there of, of the two lads that we played with, and it's something that we'll never forget. I mean, I think as well, it speaks volumes of Falkirk and the whole kind of family atmosphere at Falkirk. And I was in the stadium maybe four or five months ago, and still they've got Craig shut up in the tunnel. Yeah. And it's something that it could quite easily kind of slip in the cracks and not be forgotten about, but not hold that quite same importance. And it just becomes something that happened in the club's past. But it's no, still be there. I mean, you're talking about maybe 13 years on there. Yeah, thirteen years on. Yeah, and every year I'm, I'm sure uh, on the the tragedy that Craig died, they have a memorial um, yeah. in the tunnel as well. The only thing that was I was disappointed is uh, once they realised once they decided to relocate back to the stadium, then you know Craig's legacy at Stirling Uni almost got lost a little bit because that training base was built and named after Craig for Falkirk Football Club. But yeah, um, you understand financially in that as well that. You know, once they introduced that sort of pitch financially for the club, it's it's better for them. But on a more an emotional point of view, you know, that building was built. We moved there, and you know, we we trained there every day, and we got changed in Craig Evans's building. So um, that was disappointing to see. But these things happen. As long as, um, as you say, that I mean, that strip will probably hang there for for years to come. Um, Hopefully it does. I'm sure nobody will um, bother what to take it down because, you know, he was there as a as a young kid. What to make out of Falkirk in this tragic event? Obviously happened there. Huh? Oh. I don't know. So, <laughs> one of them from Neil Plays, whoever he is. He doesn't even follow me, so you know I don't know how and if he found it. And Billy said, "Do you watch any YouTube?" <laughs> Aye, I do. I bet I. Right, so, uh, what a, what a YouTubers uh, do you watch? Um, I don't actually watch like YouTubers. Oh, right, yeah. I just, like, just like, browse through. Yeah. I sometimes have a wee browse if I'm bored and that. I mean, you type in Tam yeah. Scooby and just reminisce. No, I definitely. <laughs> don't. <laughs> I don't know. I don't think there'll be many. Go uh, videos of me. I mean, I've only scored four or five goals in my career, so that would be a short-lived, um, a short-lived. Tam Scobie, amazing tackle. <laughs> yeah, Tam Scobie getting that sent. That's a bit suggestive, that one. <laughs> I know Tam Scobie getting sent off at Ibrox. Probably think something like that. But, um, right, well, let's have a little look then. Tam Scobie, cheeky Tam Scott. Oh no, right. Tam Scobie scores winner against Motherwell. McDermott erupts as Scobie scores winner. The Ice Bucket yeah. Challenge. Yeah, the Ice Bucket Challenge. I never Do know. you remember that? Oh. Uh, that, was, that was not a great hang, but it had to be done. Falkirk fans singing the Tim Scobie song. Oh, I remember that one. Right, we'll, not sing that. we'll not sing that one, because <laughs> that's got a root word in it. Is that the one that's... Oh, no. Yeah, it's got a mere one. Is that the one about you? <laughs> oh no, because there's loads of them though. Like about that's... Posh Vex. Ah, that's the one. Yeah. Ah, Posh Vex, aye. Yeah. Can the worst defender become... You have just been ripped to shreds. Can the worst defender become man of the match? 
<gasps> you're the worst defender in that game. No way. Right, so apparently you were the worst defender in Dream League Soccer. I think Dream League Soccer is. Ah, uh, like a FIFA ripoff. Yeah, yes, yeah, FIFA ripoff on the phone. You're rated fifty-four. Well, that's because they're a ripoff, though. You know, but on FIFA, thought you're rated sixty-seven, maybe. I'll take that. That's a decent SPF bell score. No, that's not bad. To be fair, I'm I'm not one for computer games, not anyway. I mean, I'm not got any time. Well, well, Five year old in football, it's... Right, don't search up your name on uh, YouTube. Falkirk in Europe, fat Tams go be warming up. There we go. Yeah. Falkirk, Dunfermline fan singing after Tams go be scores. I'm sure, I'm sure that'll be friendly, Dunfermline fans. Yeah. No, that will be friendly. <laughs> actually, actually, uh, we actually played, we played a game at Dunfermline, right? After, it was like the last game of the season when Elvis was manager. And the, the team bus never showed up. So Elvis was like, no, we're going to march. Didn't oh, get the bus? Sick. So we, we left the stadium and marched down. But as we left the stadium, all the Dunfermline fans had been let out. So we were walking down the, oh. uh, down the street and all the Dunfermline fans got us. So I think about 20 of the boys decided to turn back. And I was just walking along. And as I've turned around, I've just realised that I'm circled with about 300 Dunfermline fans. And I was pinned up against this wall. I was like... Right, this isn't a great situation here. I need to, I need to get myself out of here. Eh? And you want to see the abuse they were giving me? I had to get the police to come and get me, and uh, and escort me back to the back to the the stadium. And that all the boys had left me on my own, man. Well, I would have thought, well, Dunfermline fans are actually nice, but well, that is only because, right? Well, they're well, it's not their CEO, but like they're like. The person that uh, deals with the social uh, media is actually kind because, well, I've been into um, East End Park. I've also been into uh, Stark Park. I also went to the Ironbrook Cup uh, final because, like, yeah, because, well, he's opened um, me up uh, well, to uh, many types of people. Mm-hmm. So, well, yeah, well, basing off of that, I would not have thought like he was some. Well, basically no. off of him, I would not have thought like Dunfermline fans were like that. There's a there's a weird rivalry between Falkirk and Dunfermline fans, and nobody can quite pinpoint what it's about. Nah, I know I couldn't see even like growing up playing it. I always just think, what is the big deal? They're not even close to each other. No, I mean I remember it was the same way. There was a point where it was kind of Falkirk and Wraith Rovers kind of had that same bit of needle. Aye. And then it moved to being Falkirk and Dunfermline. I was just saying, I, I, didn't, I didn't quite get it. I, guess I think it, it must just be like a kind of Falkirk Pfeiffer thing, just being yeah. across the water. Or... or Falkirk, they've got like loads of villages around them, like, you know, like farms. Like they might be fighting over like farmland or something. I think I think as well just because there's like the, the teams local to Falkirk, so between like Stenismuir, the Shire. You know, they're not that many. Even Southern Albion. Yeah. Uh, they're no quite the same level. So you've got Falkirk, that's typically a Premier League first division club. But then you're going to East Stirlingshire, who's Division 3, Stennis Muir, Division 2, and Division 3. So they've not really got a rivalry as such. So they kind of had to make one with somebody. 
Yeah. I, get, I get pelted. I mean, as I said, I'm, I'm local to Falkirk, but my dad's a fifer, so I kind of get base sides here. Yeah. Well, it'd be fair, Falkirk's obviously the bigger club at the two anyway. That's probably, oh, absolutely. That's probably why yeah, That's probably why Dunfermline aren't happy at the fact that Falkirk have had a, a fair amount of success as well. Yeah, but... Oh god, right, uh football right, what's up with this footballer? Oh Carol Ikimi. Do you Carol remember him? Ikemi. Yeah. He's been diagnosed with acute leukemia. I've just seen that. Yeah. Was that a goalkeeper that was at uh yeah, yeah, yeah. Wilson or that? Yeah. Aye. Yeah, I've just seen it, that's a shame. Just so you know if you've made it this far, our thoughts are with Carol and his family. And I'm sure you would both uh, you would both agree. Yeah. Yep. Totally. Absolutely. Yeah. Oh, have you ever uh, thought of going down to um, England and playing down in England, or um, got any offers from English teams? Yeah, I had a, I had a couple of opportunities when I was younger um, to head down there. Um, Could you say what teams? Yeah, um, Plymouth were quite interested when I was a young kid. Um, Stephen McLean, who plays, uh, played with St Johnston, he was there at the time. Um, but um, I think the year after, they actually went bankrupt. So it was maybe, it was maybe a good decision not to go there. Yeah. Um, and um, I've had a couple of other options that weren't like concrete. Uh, I had the opportunity to go down to Redden um, and uh, and train there and sign there, but um, that never really came uh, too much. Um, something's happened. Something happened just before I was going to go down, so um, that kind of got put on the back burner. Um, trying to think who else. Blackpool when Ian Holloway was the manager, they had put a yeah. bid in. It was accepted, but they um, were good at him that time, Blackpool. Yeah, I, I wouldn't. I was. That's when I was pretty much carrying that injury, so I was never going to pass a medical. Yeah. Uh, down there, so that that kind of got got scrapped as well. When I was really young, I must have been about seventeen. Um, David Moyes wanted me to go to Everton. Down to Everton at the time, but. Um, for some reason, Yogi talked me into signing a five-year deal at Falkirk. <laughs> and when Yogi told you to get the deal signed, you pretty much just you pretty much just signed the deal. Myself and Scott Arfield signed the signed the five-year deal at Falkirk at that time, or seventeen or something like that. So, um, there has been a, a couple of opportunities, but you know, for me, it, it never really happened. Have there been any uh, Scottish, oh well, or like top? Four. Oh, oh well, or the traditional top four, except of Dundee uh, United. Oh well, that flake came in, or like been sniffing around. Well, uh, when, you know of anyway. well, when when Yogi went to Hibs, he phoned me and asked me if I if I wanted to go there. Um, which I said no, I'd be delighted to go. So I'd obviously go in to speak to the chief exec and. And find out how much they wanted for me, and they were 
kind of beating about the bush a wee bit and such. And then they said they bought a wee bit of money for me. And I spoke to Yogi and Yogi had said that um, they never had that kind of money. It was actually quite funny because he told me I never had any money um, when he moved there. Um, and then I think it was like the season had finished and it was the start of the new season. The transfer window was open and myself and Scott Arfield were away with the 21s at the time. Yeah. Um, we had just came back for training with the 21s and we went in the room. And, well, Yogi had told me about a month and a half earlier I never had any money. We gets back in the room and Sky Sports News hips have put in a bid of 375 grand for Scott Arfield and I'm like, what? I'm like, I thought you said you never had any money. So, I had a bit of disagreement with him about that, but... Um, that was that was probably kind of the only one that was that was kind of concrete. Yeah, well, he probably uh, said that because the chief exec, well, because like well, just because Falkirk, uh, well, uh, well, were wanting a bit much uh, for you, and then and then well, they just said, well, let's just tell him a white lie. <laughs> But they could have done it at like a better time. I think Hibs had kind of said, but I think they had Lewis Stevenson at the time, who's obviously been there for years, and I played with Lewis with Scotland, and that he's a, he's a great player. He's, he's Hibs through and through, and I think Callum Booth was just coming through at the time as well, so I think Hibs were saying, well, you know, they had Lewis there, and then Callum was coming through as well, so they weren't really in need for, a, for another left back, so I think, you know, I think it was easier almost for yoga to say that the, that it was too much money and they never had enough money in that which was which was fine I mean I was I was quite happy at Falkirk at the time so um, no that's that, that was something that happened that you know it's, it would have been great to go there and link up with them again but it never it never quite happened so um, nothing much more than that yeah well we could have been at some better heights. <laughs> well, oh, well, you've done well because obviously you're at such a big club or historically big club, and hopefully they'll be back in the Premier League by by uh, this time in next. Uh, well, by this time in next year, as I'm sure most Scot- Scottish football fans are open because they are a big team. And and the Premier League are um, and they are um, missing a team such as Dundee uh, United. Like they had one bad season, and now they're down in the Championship. And the Championship is a hard uh, league uh, to get out of. Like people underestimate the Championship. Like it's such a hard league because. Because of the quality of players, the standard, and it's just completely different, from, well, from the Premiership. Because you've got loads of good teams like Falkirk, and last season Hibs, and the season before that Hearts and Rangers. Like, uh, well, like there was loads of good teams in it. That like, like a couple of seasons ago, the Championship was, was. Probably the better league, in competitive wise, than than the Premiership because it was just going to be Celtic, Celtic, and Celtic all the way. But then Aberdeen started to push, 
and they're and yeah, well. I think when you look last season as well, even you had teams like Morton who were very much kind of dark horses in the championship. If they can keep that going into this season, it looks like it could be a really good league again this year. Yeah, I think it will be. I think it'll be a tough league. I mean, I played, I played one year in the in the championship before Cork, so I know how difficult it was um, in the championship to get out of it. I think the Dundee United players that played last year will have a better understanding of the league. Um, a better kind of feeling what it takes to go to, you know, grounds like Morton and, and Dumbarton and that and, and pick up a result. I mean, obviously Dundee United are, are a massive club in that league, so everybody's out to to, to pretty much get a scalp, as, as you would say, um, and put the span on the works because, you know, um, Dundee United go into certain teams, then people will be pretty much writing other teams off, so it's up to them to, to go and make it as difficult as possible. That's why I think last year will be a, a very good learning curve for the players that played there. You know, it might have been the first time that they've played in the championship and realised how difficult it is. And you only look at Falkirk, how difficult it's been for Falkirk to to try and get back up to the to the SBL since they got re- since they got relegated um, in that last game of the season against Kilmarnock. So it is a difficult league and and, and it's going to be a tough league. Um, but that makes for an, an exciting season, as you've said. You know, Celtic were runaway winners last season, with the exception of Aberdeen, who gave them a, a wee bit of push. You know, no one, no one, no one came close to them. So it ends up, it's like a middle of the table fight, scrapping. It was more, it was more interesting looking at the middle of the table, scrapping for European places and the relegation places, than than looking at one or two teams or three teams fighting out at the top. Which, you know, in years gone by, um, you were always always used to. You know, two or three teams at the top with like Hearts and Rangers and Celtic and you know Aberdeen to an extent fighting out for the league. So, you know, it's definitely going to be an exciting league this season in the championship and you know, hopefully fortune favours us and, and we get promoted. I mean they're probably looking there just now at the teams that's in the championship this season. You've arguably got four if not five premiership quality sides in there. I mean if you've got yourselves, Falkirk Inverness, Morton, St Murn, and that's with even looking at the likes of Dunfermline, Livingston, Queen of the South, who can on their day can be a really good side. So it's, it's definitely looking like there's a good season ahead in the Championship, and it should be a, a real entertaining challenge. And also uh, Saint uh, Mirren is also a really good team under uh, Jack and Ross. When I uh, watched. When I uh, watched them in the final, they now they did not uh, now they did not well uh, look well, uh, well look anywhere near a bottom of the league team like they looked exceptional for a for a championship team. Their manager Ross Ross has got them doing wonders. Like he could he could do it. In the Premiership, like Saint Mun is going to be, I'd say, in the playoffs, and they might even win it. The playoffs, eh, that is. Yeah, you never know. I mean, I know I played with Jack at Falkirk, and he obviously went in there, and it wasn't working at the start. But the more he got into the job, and then the longer he was in there, he started to see them putting together performances and results to go with it. And you know, they were the form team at the end of the season I mean some of their results at the end of the season were phenomenal so I'm sure 
Jack's been working with them over the summer to strengthen them and, and make sure that they can try and push on. And, and as you say, you know, they'll probably be looking at um, championship playoffs as well. So, you know, there isn't a case, say, like there's maybe two or three teams that you're thinking, right, they'll be in a championship playoffs. You can probably go through half the teams in that championship and say, you know, they might have a sniffy at the same in Morton last year, the dark courses with, with Jim Duffy. Probably at the start of the season, you would have counted Morton out of making the the playoffs, but he's been in there and done a fantastic job. And I'm sure there'll be a few clubs this season that fancy it as well. So it is set out to be an exciting season, and it's good to be involved in something like that where you know you're fighting out at the top, hopefully for playoffs and for for winning a league title and that. So I'm really looking forward to it. I mean, it's 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 good to be going somewhere where the, the ambition is to go and achieve something very positive. Rather than, you know, a lot of clubs will go there, I'll be in this, the league or in the, the, the SPFL where their ambition will be pretty much to stay in the league or, you know, to, to, to try and maybe try and sneak into top six. You know, we're, we're talking about clubs here now in the championship that are going into the season looking for promotion and looking for a title win and, and that's something that I'm, I can't wait to get started. Yeah, well, I'm sure uh, most... Well, most players, uh, well, well, uh, will be up for the challenge of the uh, championship because, well, as I've said and also uh, you've said, that well, it's challenging, and then you've got to be um, up for it for it to be for it to be well such a competitive and entertaining league. Like you've got to be um, up for it, and to push uh, the team, and to possibly, well, uh, get your team into the uh, playoff. Because in the case of uh, Morton, uh, they were a dark horse, and then because all of their players were uh, passionate and wanted, and wanted, uh, well, to play, uh, well, at their absolute best, uh, well, uh, they got there. And then it showed, come, oh, uh, well, come uh, the playoff time and come the end of the season. No, definitely. I mean, I think, uh, I think a lot of teams will be going into this year thinking that, probably looking on Morton last year, seeing him as a dark horse, there'll be a lot of teams in there thinking, you know, why can't we do that? Why can't we get ourselves in the playoffs? Why can't we challenge for the title? And it's, and it's something that, you know, clubs like Dundee United are going to have to deal with these clubs and obviously try to take a scalp and that and that's something that will come with with the games and and it's something that you know guys have got to look forward to and and relish I mean there's nothing better than going out and performing well and and, and sitting in a position where you know people are trying to catch you and I'm sure there'll be a lot of people in the the championship that are thinking the same thing so it's all set up to be a, a great season and hopefully it is for us and for me personally as well so I'm, uh, I'm looking forward to, to getting started. Yeah, well, and uh, the very best luck, I think this has pretty much run its course. Because, well, this has been on for quite a while. Uh, two, uh, yeah, so two hours and 33 minutes. Oh, that's a long time. So, yeah, well, I'm sure uh, you have also had a good... Football chat. 
Yeah. Yeah, it's been great. It's been great to chat with. Definitely, yeah. Yeah, so, well, uh, thank you for uh, listening.